This whole country just like my flock of sheep. We want to know what you intend to give away to the communists. He will bring destruction to our traditions. He looked in his heart and he thought in all humility how he'd like to try and change things. Rip off this city for a hundred grand? It's a groovy thing to do. I propose to demand from the House the immediate removal of the President of the United States. Would you do it again? If I didn't have kids and old parents that I love, yeah, I would do it again. Smarter, better, different. We made mistakes. But we were right. Hello, and welcome to Decades Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 12. Wow. My name's Deb Kuykendall. I'm Jacob Kuykendall. I'm Nicole Westry. And I'm Lance Kuykendall. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you ruined it. We didn't introduce you as a guest. Oh. Yeah, we have a guest. Uh, my husband, Lance Kuykendall, who you might recall from uh, episode two of this season and when he, we watch Power of the Press. I have no Even though this is our 12th episode, this is not the last episode. Uh, this season's going to have so many episodes. Yes, we're only at, we just watched our last movie from the '60s, so we got a ways to go yet. '70s, '80s, '90s, <laughs> 2000s, 2010s. Yeah. Uh, do we? No, 2010s is what we're in. I think we have like bonus episodes, right? I uh, don't know that we we don't have any bonus episodes scheduled because we have so, all they're all bonus episodes. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> I named four decades, but I think there's like eight episodes left yeah, there's on the list. Quite a few episodes left. So what did we watch for this episode? You're talking to me. Oh, you're looking at me. <laughs> sure, uh, <laughs> we watched Medium Cool from 1968. It was released in 1969. It was filmed in 68, obviously. And then we also watched The Company You Keep from 2012. Yes, starring Robert Redford and Shia LaBeouf. Both movies about, <laughs> I don't know, journalism and also Not white really. protest groups. <laughs> The newer movie was about a guy who was a member of the Weathermen. They started up after the 1968 convention. Uh, basically, they they uh, they were an outgrowth of the Students for a Democratic Society, which was a peaceful protest group. Mm-hmm. And then they started getting a little more militant, and then the Weathermen grew out of that. Okay. So that was the that was the newer movie that we watched was about that with Robert Redford. With Robert we'll Redford. See you again next episode. The older movie we watched took place and was filmed during and around the 1968 Democratic Convention. But yeah. it was a fiction, but it was also somewhat documentary in nature. With a young Robert Forrester as, as some guy. Yep, and a some young, guy. Uh, the guy that plays the monster in Young Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's okay. that guy's name? I did not write it down. <laughs> Sorry. You guys can puzzle it out while we talk some more. Yeah. So no, the normal format is we synopsize the older movie. older movie first. Is that right? Yeah. We've been <laughs> scrambling it up sometimes just for interest level. But yeah, yeah, normally old movie, new movie, talk to them together. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do medium cool. 
do you want to synopsize that, Mom? Because you're sure. the only one who knows anything about Meeting Cole. You knew more about the plot than the movie was. Yes, the movie, I knew more about what was going on from having read about the movie and having watched a documentary about the movie than the movie actually revealed about itself. I can't... For, for example, there's a scene where a woman is taking a pill at a, uh, at a water fountain and for no reason, they give no context to this, Just but apparently it's a birth control pill. But I didn't even movie, see the pill. The movie doesn't tell you that. Yeah, I didn't even notice she was taking a pill. Getting I actually thought she was like taking gum away. out of her mouth so that she could <laughs> drink some water. You <laughs> gave us a lot of context that about the Appalachian people, and I am not sure whether the word Appalachian occurred in that movie. Yeah, it yeah, did. Yeah, I think they mentioned it. Did it, they? It did. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Were they in Appalachia? No, they were in Chicago. Okay, so they'd move there. Yeah, it was kind of like a little slum town full of Appalachians. From West Virginia. The Appalachians, you had a whole movement of people like losing their jobs at the coal mine and moving to where there were factory jobs. It's part of why, uh, it's how country music developed because you had these people that had, that's the only reason I know about it, because you had these people (laughs) that were used to the music of their place and they all moved to the north and now they could listen to radios. They had radio stations Mm. and you had radio stations that started playing old southern uh, hillbilly music. For those people in the that had moved there in the movie, when they had flashbacks to the kid's dad, was that meant to be in Appalachia somewhere, or was yes. that a flashback to so. him after they moved to Chicago? No, I think that was in the past in Appalachia, and okay. the scene where she is in church, I think, also where yeah. she was mm-hmm. baptized. Okay, so, spoiler alert. Here's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to hear you synopsize this thing. It starts with a cameraman and a reporter filming a car crash which in which you can hear the woman there's a woman inside the car that has crashed and she's moaning obviously injured but they're not doing anything to help her they're just filming it mm-hmm. and uh, then as they are to, about to drive off as an afterthought they call for an ambulance yes. but they just leave her there they do nothing a real night crawler the very next, said. <laughs> yeah. the next scene is a bunch of reporters and people at some kind of cocktail party all talking about the responsibility of of journalists to offer help or uh, or not or simply to observe what's going on and then you know report on that and that that's kind of a theme throughout the whole movie there's a scene where he is uh, where his nurse girlfriend is talking about a person who had filmed this nuclear test site and how the the radiation had messed up turtles that lived on the island that made Mm. and so they went inland instead of to the beach and she was saying do you think the cameraman you know instead of letting them go inland were to lay their eggs so that all their eggs would die did any of the people help them turn get turned around and go the right <laughs> direction uh, that happens later in the movie but the movie is very disjointed so it's kind of like it sure is <laughs> that's yeah that's an understatement mm-hmm. um one of the things that the way that the movie structure sort of is at the beginning is it cuts between the reporter and his and his uh, sound man doing various things. For example, they go to Washington, D.C. and film the Poor People's Campaign, which is a collection of poor people, activists, who camped out in Washington, D.C. in you know in the late 60s, and they just stayed there as a, as a protest. Mm-hmm. And they go there and they film that. And then it sort of cuts between them doing things here and there and a, an Appalachian boy who lives in the slums with his mother, you know, him doing this and that. Like, he trains pigeons, and you see him doing that. 
And then later in the movie, the two storylines intersect when the little boy it tries to steal the reporter's hubcaps off of his reporter car or whatever. Yeah, the old reporter car. The reporter mobile. <laughs> the reporter mobile. You also see scenes of the reporter and the... Cameraman? Uh, the sound man. Sound the reporter man. is sound the cameraman. Man. You're right. Okay. Um, he's... Yeah. And this, he has a sound man that goes around with him. And if you happen to be an older person, you would recognize the can- the sound man as the actor who played the dentist in the Bob Newhart show for, <laughs> for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Bonners, I believe, is his name. He was more of a comedic actor, actually. But this is not a comedy. God, this storyline has no... There's a lot of things Many in it. Many events happen. Oh, I don't even know if I go that far. Many things are seen on screen. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the I, I don't know, challenges of this movie is that the movie shows you things but doesn't explain anything. It's very... Uh, the director who made the film was a cinematographer largely of documentaries, and this movie feels like a documentary a lot of the time. Sort of like a collage of documentaries. <laughs> yeah. It's very much of the style of movies in the late 60s and early 70s, but without as much of a like, through line. It reminds me of, um, have any of you seen the movie The, Conver- or the Conversation with Gene Hackman? Famous classic movie. It's super good. It is filmed in this same style, which is like almost documentary-like, but has a clear like story. Right. But there's lots of scenes of this movie of people have some people are having a conversation and it's up to you the viewer to try and tie the topic of their conversation into the larger story. One of the things that this movie does frequently is juxtapose one scene from the next scene. Like there's a scene where they're interviewing a very wealthy woman at a swimming pool. Uh, and she's talking about how they like to get out of the city. I don't know why they were interviewing her. That was never no, explained. Yeah. But she talks about how they like to get out of the city and go to Ontario, which is in Canada. Yes. <laughs> she was clear to point out. <laughs> in case you were wondering. Ooh la la. <laughs> yeah, they like to get out of, and they go to, oh, it's something that sounds like Deborah, but it's a French word, <laughs> which she also explains. Um, and then that is the next immediate scene right after that is a scene of the slum where the Appalachians live and all the little kids playing in the dirt with their sticks and such. Because mm-hmm. um, they can't get out of the city in the summertime. Mm-hmm. There's also a scene where <laughs> this was a funny scene and also it had a transition that my, my eyes could not understand how they did it. Um, they, he takes his nurse girlfriend to the roller derby. <laughs> Yeah, which, always a good which date. Is extra- he says, let's go to the movies. <laughs> yes, and then they go to the roller derby. In the sense that people are moving around and around. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a whole bunch of scenes of violent ro- roller derby action, and the crowd is getting whipped Ooh, into a frenzy killer! and yelling for people to get kicked in the back. And go, go, and go. Stop crying, you cry, baby. One of the roller derby girls falls down, like right in front of the camera. It's that's the other thing that's a little weird about this movie is that sometimes there's a camera that is part of the movie and sometimes there's a camera that's filming the movie so in this case it's a camera filming the movie so you see the reporter and his girlfriend sitting in the audience and then this roller derby girl gets injured right in front of the camera like takes up the whole yeah the, the whole uh, frame. lens frame and then that does just this weird transition. It's a magical transition. It was very magical, and I didn't even know what I was looking at. And then all of a sudden, there's a breast on the screen, and they're, yeah. and they're in bed, and they're having sex. And it, it didn't, like, the transition was helped by the fact that the soundtrack was still the 
yelling, oh, yeah. roaring cloud, crowd, shouting, oh, yeah. go, That's... go, go, and kill, kill, kill. Yes, as these people are having <laughs> sex after the roller mm-hmm. derby. Mm-hmm. Symbolic. <laughs> of what? Not so clear. <laughs> yeah. Had, I don't know, something viewer. to do with the inherent violence of our... It's rape culture, maybe? <laughs> no, yeah. she wasn't being raped. Rape culture. <laughs> All right, whatever. I don't know. You <laughs> give think, me your better explanation. I think it was. I think it was about how they were really getting into the violence yeah. of the roller derby, and then they were aroused by it. Okay. Because they were definitely yeah, in the crowd at the derby. Yeah. I mean, there's he nothing didn't. hotter. <laughs> but it wasn't <laughs> the roller skates. The weird. The thing about it is, it didn't. That wasn't really part of the story because no. there really wasn't a story per se. It was just sort of just some m- some messages that we were being. I mean, he doesn't really take no for an answer later in the movie. Yeah, he did. I mean, later when he's He's making out with the mom, she's like, no, cut it out. And then he just keeps making out with her. And then it cuts to her son watching them. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah, no, he definitely does not take no for an answer. I think I walked out of the room and then I came back and I saw that creepy little kid face. (laughs) And I was like, ooh, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Now that happened a lot later in the movie. (laughs) Sure. Basically what happens is the uh, reporter gets fired. Oh, because he... He decides to follow this uh, story of a cab driver, and his his editor, all right, his editor doesn't want him to follow the story, but he does anyway. He's so. a loose cannon, just like <laughs> in the other movie. Yeah. So there's a cab driver who returns ten thousand dollars, and then the police are very suspicious about why this cab driver would find ten thousand dollars and then turn it in, and they're they're really harassing him about it. Mm-hmm. And the reporter films the initial, you know. The initial time when the police are talking to this cab driver, and that's the first, that's the story, and it kind of gets picked up, and it gets into the newspaper and whatever. And then you cut to a scene where the cab driver is at home. He's talking to his friends. They also don't know why he didn't keep the money, because they could buy guns and stuff such with it, implying yeah. that they are probably... Um, it says in the credits they are black militants. Yeah, black power militants from the uh, late 60s. Probably Black Panthers. I think I think there were probably. more or just more there were other ones. in this movie yeah. generic black militants. Yeah. <laughs> Non-specific. Yeah. So <laughs> um then the reporter uh, shows up at the guy's house when all these people are there and wants to talk him into uh being further interviewed about what happened, why yeah. he turned in the $10,000. And you get to see this scene of this very uncomfortable white sound man being Given a hard time. Given a yeah, hard time. They're teasing him. By the uh, other African Americans that are hanging out there. I think uh, they give him a pretty light ribbing, honestly. Yeah. They're no, like, he, oh, what are you doing here? What's that pager you Right, but he obviously... Take it from you and not give it back to you. <laughs> yeah. He's a wimp. I yes, mean. he's a wimp, and he just can't take it. And so he I'm leaves. going in the car. <laughs> and then they sort of uh, gang up on the reporter and say, we want to, you know, I want to tell you what I want to talk about. We all want to talk. Yeah. And then the next scene was a little confusing to me. I wasn't sure. I They were... Talk to the audience. I assume they were talking to the reporter. It didn't seem like he was being filmed. I didn't. I they thought they were talking camera. to the... Yeah, I felt like to at that the point audience. they were talking to the audience. They did one of those oh. clever little shifts, and now they were just... Because he didn't have he a left, camera right? or a re- or a recording device. Yeah, right. he left. Yeah, or I he... felt like he'd left. And yeah. they were just... But they were... In that same sort of tricky way that they, the transitions that they do, it transitioned from a a view of a conversation with the reporter and some people to them talking directly 
to the camera. Yeah. I yeah. think it was sort of was my like impression. the audience for the movie is very likely going to be of a similar background to <laughs> John the reporter. reporter. So it was like, listen, you are, you know, ignoring us. This is when you pay attention. This is what we would actually like you to listen to and know about us. Yeah. It was <laughs> one of the more uh, effective scenes in the movie, I thought. Because it actually used words and they had a dialogue. Sure, that helps. Uh, so what happens after that? It's probably shortly after that that he meets the kid. The mm-hmm. kid drops his... The kid generally is carrying around a basket full of pigeon. Pigeon. <laughs> Alive. Alive. Pigeon. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he tries to steal the hubcaps off the, the reporter car. And as he tries to... Uh, the reporter shows up and gives chase. And the boy drops the basket with the pigeon in it that also has his address on it. The kid gets away, but the reporter takes the basket and goes to the address to return the uh, pigeon. I think it's somewhere around here that he has that conversation with. The reporter has a conversation with his editor who says, I don't know. I mean, just says no. I'm not exactly clear on he what had, the He point had a of bunch of other is. stories that were more important, didn't want him to pursue that one. Yeah. yeah. The story of the guy who turned in $10,000 right. instead of keeping it. Which works because he never follows up on that right. story and never <laughs> goes anywhere. And the guy didn't really want to. He'd already gotten too much crap for not keeping the $10,000. Yeah. It is definitely the part in the story where they na- run around naked in his apartment because he has the <laughs> pigeon and hasn't returned it yet when they yes, do that. in their apartment. So there's uh-huh. this, I don't know, there's this exciting scene <laughs> it's a it's a late 60s early 70s scene of two naked people uh running around with a white sheet just chasing each other just having a good time. having, a good, having time. a good time and you get to see all these posters there's a picture of uh tiny tim there's a that famous picture of the vietnamese guy getting executed by the general yes commander, I, uh, commander executing a general okay that photo was uh described in great detail to me in an audiobook that I listened to oh, really? for in preparation for this which was about the 1968 Democratic Convention but it started you know long before that and there's so, sort of a whole build up and um, that picture was very effective but people didn't really understand what it is they were looking at mm. because the uh, the general who's being executed had just like decimated a town but in the photograph he's dressed like a civilian so that American audiences looking at that thought they, they like saw a military man yeah. executing a civilian. And it was, oh, these are allies, South uh, South Vietnamese military officer shooting a civilian in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the military, we forgot a part at the beginning. Oh, that's how the movie starts. Yes. Actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, we have talked about the protest practice. So the very beginning of the movie. Point, <laughs> oh, it's it's after the after they're filming the accident, but it's all immediately after. Mm-hmm. They go and film an exercise with the uh, National Guard, uh, and it's the this is an actual exercise. Actually, I think the general talks first, right? So you see a scene mm-hmm. of a general, and he it, he introduces himself, and looks like this, a freaking dweeb, right? But he is the he introduces himself. He is actually the person that he introduces. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't. He's the I'm guy in real life. <laughs> <laughs> but he is yes. this scene is nonfiction. Let's start yes, there. it's a non it's a nonfiction scene of a general explaining that they're doing these exercises, and then you see the exercises, and the exercises also are not staged. They are the real exercises that the National Guard did to prepare for the Chicago Convention or other uh, riots that they anticipated would break out in major cities mm-hmm. at that time because that was what was happening um and the way that they practiced some of the national guard pretended to be the protesters and then some of the national guard 
were National Guard, and they were preparing for to be attacked, basically, by the protesters. But they also had this sort of um, joking tone, like they weren't Mm -hmm. taking it seriously. And I couldn't tell if that's because they were being filmed or if they really just did not take it seriously. I took the the joking tone seemed to be the people that were playing the part of the protesters. But even even the like people who were, you know, playing the part of the National Guard in the drills were sort of, you know, like ribbon them with the bayonets when you wouldn't do that. Right, you wouldn't do that. Yeah, they were just sort of like, you know, whatever. But I thought it was interesting because it... of all the people to choose, if you're going to say, oh, by the way, you guys get to be the stinking hippies yeah. that we all dislike, dislike and they're, they're, they're like, okay. really like, ooh, this will be fun. Yeah. I'm going to be the noxious hippies. Yeah, so it was it was ooh, interesting to see yeah. already their attitude about yeah. this, and mm-hmm. it's possible that's why it didn't go so well. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Let's see. And he takes he takes the pigeon back. Mm-hmm. So they they get introduced to each he other. He just pushes himself into this lady's house. Yeah. Yes. He's an obdo- the character is obnoxious from beginning to end yeah the reporter character he just basically doesn't seem to care about anything and does whatever he wants (laughs) to whoever he wants so for example in the scene where the lady is taking the birth control pill or whatever was happening (laughs) taking out chewing gum yeah whatever it's actually an important scene because uh, is it yes well yeah because you probably weren't listening but this is what happened in that scene she he walks up behind her this is not what was important, although I think it is important. <laughs> he walks up behind her as she's getting a drink of water, and then he kisses her on the neck. This is not the nurse. No. This is, we don't know what their relationship is. It's one of those scenes from a bygone time where you're like, you can't do that in the workplace. I, was thought, I assumed from his general demeanor that he was going like, to come up and slap her on the yeah. butt. I mean, right. that was, I was waiting for that. I yeah. thought, oh, hey, kiss on the neck, cheeks. much nicer. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> or something. <laughs> Well, whatever. Less risk of her smacking her mouth against the <laughs> um, the water fountain. I... I guess. Well, anyway. It's all bad. And then yes. she turns around and tells him that they have been using the footage, footage that he's been, that the, that the TV station has been giving that footage over to the FBI and the police so that they can scan the footage for activists and such. And he's pretty upset by that because yeah. it's like, how can I film people? They can't trust me if we're going to hand the film footage over to... And, and they talked about that at the cocktail party yeah. in the very opening scene is how it, the uh, how every no one basically nobody likes the press. Uh, the the police don't like them and the activists don't like them because they think that they're spying for the police. So everyone wants to beat up the press, yeah. which is like, oh, right. and look, you, and you, you are, are. <laughs> successful. Yeah. But uh, then in the same moment, he finds out he's been laid off yeah he gets laid off yeah. right after that <laughs> and then uh the appalachian mom whose name i can't remember oh gosh. surprisingly yeah <laughs> like i can never remember name. anybody's name well we didn't get the nurse's name until the like two-thirds yeah. of the way through the movie after she yeah. disappeared <laughs> they stopped yeah. seeing each other yeah do they ever actually break up on screen no she hmm? just well he's got a lot of irons in the her. fire yeah, yeah. yeah. the, 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 the woman time. taking the pill or just spitting out her gum Dee. Dee Dee and uh, got that one. That one I got because he screamed her name like fourteen times. Dee-dee. He was really mad at her for not, not telling him not about Not telling him early on. Although it's not I don't know yeah, what her job was. Right. Her job <laughs> is to let people know when stuff let everyone know when police is are being supplied with <laughs> Yeah, that was, was really that weird. was kind of a weird like really? That yeah. You're wrong that, with the wrong not, people. Yeah, you ticked off not that, that your management did that, but that you're yeah. Someone, Someone didn't you. mention some, this some thing to who you. Who probably does not have a lot of power uh, at the news I'm organization. Guessing, yeah. Surely doesn't feel like it from this one scene. <laughs> so he gets fired. 
Uh, he goes to a diner with his sound man. Mm-hmm. He gets rehired, though, right? No, no he, he gets goes hired to by a someone different, else. Yeah, different news organization. The, right. the coked right. up guy in the hotel. Oh, yeah, right. right. Okay, that explains that. Okay, we'll get there. <laughs> so uh, he's sitting in the diner with his sound man and sound man saying, well, you know, I could if I could, but I can't really. I need my job. I need my job. And meanwhile, behind him is the Appalachian mom. And she walks out of the diner and then walks in front of the plate glass window that he's sitting behind and taps on it. She overhears what they're saying, but doesn't interrupt and say, hey, I know you. Instead, she goes out and around and gets his attention (laughs) from in front and says, yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why she did that. (laughs) She likes him. He's so cute. And he has a way with barging into people's homes (laughs) and rummaging through their stuff that she thinks is a an attractive trait. I mean, he has yeah. a good relationship with her son eventually, sort of. Until he, until he gets doesn't peeped on. Well, yeah, yeah, but she doesn't know this yet. I mean. yeah. <laughs> oh, and also, I should uh, mention that intermittently we see flashbacks to the son and his dad, who's in Vietnam. Uh, you know, in the Appalachians before they moved to Chicago, and I'm guessing they probably moved to Chicago after the dad dies yeah. because they need to make ends meet. Um, and how are they making ends meet? Is that she's ever working she at, at the Motorola? Motorola. Yeah, was so, it Motorola or Magnum? No, which Mo- one? Motorola. Motorola. Okay. Although, which I think is a gas station. No, I, I think it's. Motorola's I think she's doing assembly lines for like electronics. Electronics. Motorola oh. televisions or something. Uh, Although yeah. it sure looked like she was. But she said, "Well, I just work right over there." Right across the street. And yet, over there was like oh, some small stores and then gas station. It's a yeah. Motorola retail. Could that's why I was like uh, an electronics a television. Store. I was unclear on that. I know yeah, she had a job. Appliance store I, or a, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, they start a relationship with each other. He doesn't have a job, so he goes home and has dinner with her. Um, Feed me. I'm hungry. <laughs> they have, makes friends with the little boy. At your place, not my bigger, more nice place. Yes. <laughs> yes, and I'll eat your food, you poor, poor, poor people who have no money. Please yeah, feed don't me. Don't come over to my three-bedroom apartment. Yeah, he has a very fancy apartment. <laughs> We, I think we also forgot to mention that the little boy is constantly dirty. Oh, he's filthy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For yes. the whole movie. Very great. He, he gets a shower at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Later, in his apartment. He's clean. Eventually. He's temporarily clean. Well, at the end of this dinner, he says he's going to take the kid over to the CYO, which we decided was Chicago Youth Organization, yeah. mm-hmm. to uh, learn how to box or something. Because um, he was a boxer 10 years We before. never actually see this happen. But we right. do see, yeah. Yeah, we see the, the trophy. We see him boxing, but we never see the boy learn anything. No. He said he'd take the boy over to the CYO, well, I think it was, and he did. I think it was like they're trying to juxtapose the buddy, his original father, um, mm. teaching him the life lessons and like, this is how you shoot, and this is how to view women, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of stuff, where he doesn't actually ever do anything. He's just there learning the lessons, and then now he's at... The boxing place, and he's not actually boxing; he's just learning how just to box. Looking. Yeah, learning about the concept of box, how to hit the fine. heavy bag. Yeah, so new yeah. new father figure. And there is a scene where the kid is at his apartment messing around with his stuff, and the guy shows him his shower, and the kid is like, "What's that?" Yeah, but he and he gets a shower. Yeah, mm-hmm. he takes a shower at that point. Um, and then the, the, he gets his hair brushed, and he's clean for a very short period of time. And there's a couple of scenes where he's wearing super great T-shirts at yeah. this point in the movie that Mr. we admired greatly. Mr. America T-shirt. Yes. They sh- they show the development of the relationship by having them go to a pigeon release. I was guessing it was a pigeon race. It had that look to it in that there was a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of pigeons, and they, then they let them all out at the same time. Yay, yeah. fun. And that's kind of what they do, people that race pigeons. That's how they do it. 
they take the pigeons far away, mm-hmm. release <laughs> them, and then wait to see who gets home first. Hmm. The gray one. In the scene where he has dinner with them, the little boy has turned on the TV to a documentary, I guess, about uh, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and JFK, JFK, JFK who have all been assassinated by oh, yeah. this point in time. There, that happens during the movie. Robert Kennedy dies. Yeah, you see a scene <laughs> that Haskell created to uh, replicate Robert Kennedy going into the kitchen mm-hmm. and being assassinated. Um, it's it's all kind of vague and a little off camera, Artsy, like the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say sense. vague and not necessarily connected yeah. to anything else. But, I'm sure it made a lot of but sense. But you hear in Robert the 60s. F. You hear you hear him giving his speech over a loudspeaker before mm. this scene, and uh, people at the time would have known what ex- right. what that meant. You know, it was all everywhere in the media so oh she's watching it and he starts looking at it and he says i love being a cameraman and then he gives a weird speech about yeah, he how he oh americans know. today they only want to watch stuff on the television i don't know it's the thematic theme of the, yeah. of filming things without context and also without um doing anything to change the problems that you're that are in front of your camera which is awesome they kind of talked i mean that was also presented at the the uh beginning cocktail party and of course this (laughs) speech is coming from the guy who films some uh moaning woman victim of a car accident and then meanders back to his camera mobile to put his equipment away and then says oh we'll call an ambulance before we drive off yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, but he learned a valuable lesson from getting he laid didn't. off, I guess. No, he didn't learn nothing. So I guess these I, days. At this point in the movie, I think we hit everything <laughs> everything that happened that was important up to the point where the convention starts. Yeah. So the only interesting part of this whole movie. They this movie was actually filmed or parts of this movie were filmed during the Democratic Convention in 1968 in Chicago. At the Democratic Convention. At the Democratic Convention and also at the protests outside. The reporter has been hired by a new place, apparently. Mm-hmm. So he's at the convention to film the convention. She, her, oh. She being this the is right after the day. Right. Appalachian mom, after they have sex and the little boy watches them, I guess. Well, they're kissing and he sees them kissing. I, yeah. I kind of, I walked out of the room at that point. Yeah, like, they were just making out. Oh, they were okay. making out. And I think it's implied she then goes inside because he's, oh, yeah. he's gone and she walks into the house better boy's gone yeah but the little boy runs away so she's lost her little boy meanwhile chicago is is starting to crumble get a bunch (laughs) of protesters are are starting to uh collect as was planned Mm. long in advance the you see lots of police marching around you see the national guard it's not that initially not that violent Um, no it looked like just like a picnic in the park before a concert right that they were all just sort of hanging out mellowing out and and then the police just freaked out and yeah started telling everybody to leave i think chicago was i mean they were on edge before this was this was not part of the movie but uh, the whole the city was on edge and the mayor was out of his mind um before this happened because there was a convergence of these radical uh groups i'm not gonna say activists necessarily because some of them were like some of them were really crazy in that they you know they threatened to put lsd in the water while they were there and it was they weren't it wasn't necessarily they were going to put lsd in the water but they really wanted people to be on edge on edge yeah Mm -hmm. and they succeeded and so the police were ready for just 
a riot and the National Guard was there. Obviously, they were ready they for were a riot. They were trained ready for a riot. The As people that actually showed up, a lot of them were just like, you know, some lady with her baby. Just, the, you know, they weren't there to necessarily start any kind of violence. But the police were there. And later when it was, when they did the review, right, they basically, they called it a police riot. They didn't say that this was a bunch of protesters out of control. They basically said the police were out of control. And that's so, what it looks like from the footage when yeah, you're watching yeah. it. Like, the protesters are just there and then the police start getting aggressive and hitting them for no reason. Just And the protesters do fight back to some yep. extent, but the police... I mean, have... they're screaming at them, but they're not, right. like, hitting them. <laughs> right. And you, I think they did, like, throw stuff at them, like rocks and things. Sure, but, they always But do. the police had guns and, and batons. Uh, batons and and tear gas. And... They had tanks and barbed wire and tear gas. It reminded me of protests in Seattle, where it's yeah. like ninety percent just people are there to stand there and around. be counted. But then there's always the yahoos that are wearing all their BMX yeah, <laughs> protective gear, and they're they're looking for a fight. How do you respond, and who do you pay attention to? But even these groups, you know, when they were walking down the streets, the second that it looked like maybe something would happen, they would all sit down, yeah. right, and they sort were, of get really passive. They were yes. cooperating with yeah. what the police were telling them yeah. much of the time. Oh yeah. Yeah, so that's going on, and it escalates. The woman, the Appalachian mom, is sort of meandering through all of these events that are happening around the city, not getting, not being touched at all, because she's looking for her little boy. And meanwhile, it's escalating all around her. And it, there's the one scene where they all sit down in the middle of the street, and she's in that crowd. And it's not a staged crowd. This is an <laughs> right. actual crowd of protesters that were in the city at that time. Um, and there's a scene where she walks up to the National Guard soldiers and they just let her pass through. Like, hey, yeah. I'm going through that. Yeah. Way. They didn't, for some I'm reason, they didn't. For my little boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she can't find little boys. So she uh, calls the news station and says, Where's John? John, who is the name? That's the reporter's name. Mm-hmm. She needs help finding her little boy. So she calls for John. He is at the convention, in the convention center. And uh, she finds the sound man, and he tells her where to find him. Yeah, she finds I mean, she, she just fi- goes in and looks for yeah, him and yeah. finds him. She finds him. They get in a car and drive somewhere. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. they're driving back home. We see I, the little boy get heads back home. Yes. And he's home waiting to get light in because he's locked out. Right. And then they're in a car, and this is it's a very so weird, weird scene. Oh, boy. <laughs> so they're listening oh, to the radio, and on the radio it's playing um, like a bad sounds, of the, sounds of the riot. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts into a story of a crash in which John the reporter, this is while they're driving their car and very much alive, but you hear the report of their crash and it? death. <laughs> uh, and then a little bit later, their tire blows and they crash and die. And then a car drives slowly by and a little boy leans out with his little camera and takes a picture of the car and they drive on. And that's how the movie ends. Wow. Going back. No, no. Then, then you see the camera guy... Who's yeah, you're right. Filming that's the right. director. <laughs> yes, and so then it pans over, and there's yeah, a that's important. Camera <laughs> guy in front of a big camera. Uh, there's filming, Borat filming this scene. Filming the scene, and it, it's actually Haskell Wexler who is the director of the movie. And then the camera turns to you, the yeah. audience, and it zooms in. We yes. don't know where this is going. Yeah. Do you? <laughs> there is a. There's also a scene in the movie where uh, it's during the riots, and cameras filming the riot and then the, a tear gas canister kind of rolls over towards oh, yeah, the camera rolls. 
and you hear somebody yell, watch out. Oh, no, I think he Haskell, says, Haskell, it's, it's real. real. Look out, Haskell, it's real. And of course, Haskell is the name of the director. A little <laughs> trivia, that actually, that sound bite, they added later. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it was fake? They faked the real thing? Oh, yes. the irony. So this movie, <laughs> it's really, it's a little confusing knowing what your pers- your viewpoint is because it keeps changing. Am I an audience? Am I the audience? Am I the cameraman? Am I the director? Am I? Yeah, a, what's your moral am I, responsibility? Am I watching roller derby or two people having sex? <laughs> it's so Is confusing. that the same thing? Is it the same thing? The crowd seems to think so. It's like funny games all over again. Oh, the viewer, you're the real monster. So um, that's that's it. That's mm-hmm. that movie. I had something I wanted to throw in there. Okay. This was back. There's this the scene where he goes to interview the cab driver. Mm-hmm. And he gets confronted by the cab driver's buddies who are in the apartment saying, no, you, I'm going to tell you the story. You're in, you want one story. I want you yeah, we talk to, to tell you, another. Man. Yeah. I want you to tell this story. And I like that. There was a, a late 1980s. There was an essay that was written in the Columbia Journalism Review. That, and it was a journalist writing about what do journalists mm-hmm. really do? And talking about how the, the statement, the provocative statement was that a journalist is really a sort of con man. Their job is to convince a subject that you want to you want to tell their story, but you never really want to tell their story. You want to tell your story, and you convince people to talk to you because they think they're going to have their story told. But no, you're not really telling their story. You're telling the story you want to tell, and that it's a bait and switch. And this was a big. It was a controversial thing in the for a while. It's like 1988 sure. or something. Hmm. But that was that whole confrontation that he had where these people are saying, no, you came here to tell your story, but now it's my turn. I'm going to tell my story because you only see your perspective. And I enjoyed that because I thought it reminded me of that article. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's actually what they, they always do. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were complaining that you don't actually ever tell our story. You're only here when there's violence. That's yeah. the only thing but that interests But that's the story. Yeah, mm-hmm. because, yeah, that's right. That's the story I'm here to tell. Yeah, yeah he's, he's not saying, saying oh, yeah. Oh, he's gone at this time. It's, right. it's Although about he us. does kind of, I mean, he doesn't say, yeah, you're right. But he's like, I'm out of here. I do this job. This I'm good at my job. He doesn't yeah. address it directly. But it is that, that yeah, if I'm here to cover something violent, that's because I want to cover something violent. You mm-hmm. want to cover something else, well, too bad. I'm the guy. Right, and they <laughs> talked about that at the cocktail party as well when the guy was talking about how people don't want to know why something's happening. They just want to see it and go. Yeah. Well, was that the same guy who said that reporters are like typewriters and typewriters don't no, care what's being typed on them? that was the sound guy that said that. Okay. <laughs> he was an elongated yeah. sound recording or something. Yes. Elongated... Right. My job is just to play the tape. Yeah. I right. press the go button. He was saying that he is part of the machine. Right. Not that that his that his job is not to interpret anything, but merely to record. There's a lot of controversy right now uh, about the cover, the media coverage of oh, I don't know, just about any topic you want to pick right now, and the way that the topic is covered versus how actual people feel about it. There's, uh, you know, the biggest one is the many, many, many covers of here's what Trump voters feel like now articles or the huge number of never Trump uh, op-ed people at all the major newspapers, despite the fact that they are a huge minority in terms of people in the U.S. 
but also all the way down, like every single topic right now is basically subject to this where it kind of feels like you have a lot of rich white urban newspaper writers writing about the stuff they're very passionate about while a larger contingent of people nationwide are going oh i don't really feel that way this is not reflective of what i actually think or i don't like these articles or this isn't reflective of me or even worse than that that they're not even doing anything journalistic that they're just parroting things that are out there you know they're Mm -hmm. they're covering the tweets that trump says or they're covering the rallies (laughs) and they're not actually analyzing them and saying like this isn't true they're just literally he makes a lot of misstatements yeah no but or they're just stenographers they're just like trump's latest tweet said this well okay we can all go read the tweet (laughs) ourselves your job as a journalist is to i don't know interpret the tweet (laughs) and you know get something newsworthy out there um, or don't report on it right one of the things i thought was a little ironic about the message of this movie, which I guess is that you should get involved, I'm, I'm assuming, that you shouldn't just look at things and then keep going on. Yeah. So the little boy in this movie is played by a little Appalachian boy, Harold Blankenship, I mm-hmm. believe That's right. is his name. Uh, he plays Harold in the movie. He uh, really was a little Appalachian boy from slums in Chicago. He couldn't read. So there's a scene of him reading, which is basically the director had to tell him each line and then he would say the line um there's another scene where a social worker comes and he had some lines he had memorized but when she, when he was actually filming the scene he kind of got mixed up and sort of some of the answers were from his real life and some of the answers were the answers he was supposed to give in the scene oh. and what i think is ironic about it and and there's the scene where he gets a shower he's never seen a shower before and that was real he had never seen a shower before and then after the movie was over there's a documentary about this movie, so you get to hmm. hear the director say, and we never saw that boy again, and we don't have any idea what happened to him. And it's like, oh, my Lord. You Bought did... him a bus ticket and sent him back home. Yep. Yeah, we, right. we took this kid, we exposed him to all this stuff that was that he had never seen before because he lives in abject poverty, and then we said, so long, see ya, bye, <laughs> movie's over. Did they at least give him a pigeon to take with him? I, one of the free ones? <laughs> yeah. I tried to look him up to see if he had ever done, because he was good in the movie. Yeah. Um, so I tried to kind of look him up to see if there was any more information about him. And I think maybe somebody had found him like at one point in when he was a, when he was a grown up. Hmm. Somebody made contact with him, but it was very... Uh, I'm sure they played him, paid him very well for his movie <laughs> performance, right? <laughs> uh, oh, Lord. Yeah, so the movie did exactly the same thing that the movie sure. was trying to tell us. I think you're not supposed to do, which mm-hmm. is like just see a see a disaster and then just Keep take a picture moving. of it and tell your on. story and right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. The other thing about this movie, um, so it was uh, Haskell Wexler was given a script about a little boy who finds animals in the park, and uh, somebody, whoever the producer or whatever it was, said this script would be really great for a cinematographer's first directorial experience. And so they gave him this script, and he ended up obviously not making that script. He just made the script. He wanted to film what was going on in America, in Chicago specifically, Mm. at the time that he was filming. And as a, you know, so as a documentarian, which is what he largely did, he kind of wanted to make a documentary that had fiction elements to it. 
it, the movie also had some things in common with the uh, Salt of the Earth, which I, I told you guys about mm-hmm. earlier. So some of the characters, like the dad, the guy who plays the Appalachian boy's dad, was an actual Appalachian activist. It must activist. have been his actual dad, because they had the last name. No. They're two Blankenships on the, uh, in the cast. Mm-hmm. In the credits, Maybe. I don't know. I just looked at the credits and went, oh, that son, that kid's has another person with the same last name huh well maybe that mm-hmm. wasn't i don't remember reading that but maybe mm-hmm. that is true or maybe there's lots of blanket chips from that I, I no idea let's see you have anything else important well we got a whole nother <laughs> movie to talk about all right let me and make i bet sure. we'll have some stuff to say about that other movie oh well also the name of this movie is medium cool oh yeah why is it called medium cool it's called medium cool uh it's take somebody suggested it to the director uh it's from a guy who used to write a lot about the media and he had said that there was cool media and hot media and your dad and i i I read the book it's called the medium is the massage it's very weird it's very much like this movie actually it's really disjointed just little bits and pieces of things uh and how the media although it is also somewhat you know it was written in 1964 i believe it's really it really applies to how we consume media now it, mm. it talks about how everybody's connected by this this media. And it, he was talking about TV, but it really sounded like social media the way that he described it. And, and how he talked about the effect of the media on our society. Okay. And it's, so he, t- he describes cool media and hot media. I think hot is the other one, right? Mm-hmm. And hot media is like newspaper. And what he means by it, is very difficult to understand. Hot media, I believe, is the one that is very much in depth and it engages few of your senses. And cool media is more shallow but engages more of your senses to perceive. That's that's one of the ways that it's described. Whatever. The one the one that made more sense to us when we you know when I finally found this little piece of information said, well, you know, we have a cold war. There was a cold war going on, and in a cold war. There's no bombs. There's no mm-hmm. explosions or people being shot. In a hot war, there's old. There's kind of like old media, like tanks. It's well, more. I don't understand any of this analogy. <laughs> I hate this. Well, and that's the other funny thing. So when, on the documentary, when Haskell Wexler is asked why did you name it that, he said, "Well, somebody suggested it, but I suggest you." I suggest you go to the library and read that book and you explain it to me because I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, but, that's right. But there was, I mean, the idea, what, I don't know if hot and cool are good descriptors. It doesn't sound like But the like idea it. of a kind of media like reading a magazine article mm-hmm. where you have to think about it and it's engaging you at an intellectual level. I think there's also versus, like a tangible element to it. Right. As opposed to a, like watching something on television or, or even the example Marshall McLuhan uses is watching a movie where you've got sound and action and colors and lights and you don't necessarily, don't get a chance to think about it deeply, but it everything impacts you mm. immediately and emotionally because it engages all your senses but it doesn't necessarily that encourage. Hot one or the cold that's one? That's the hot one. No, that's the cool one. <laughs> because the... you're not actually doing any work. Your brain's it's very just cold. Right. Now, why? That's why I say hot versus cool is a really weird terminology, and it's almost counterintuitive to what you would think of as being. No, it is counterintuitive. Yeah. Uh, it's also like a really weird position for a filmmaker <laughs> to take to right. say like that that medium 
is well, passive he, no, and not. Marshall McLuhan was not a filmmaker. He was a more of a philosopher. Oh, no, I meant like the actual guy filming the movie. This right, is medium but he's, cool. But he's the <laughs> yeah. one that said, I don't understand that. Well, yeah. I don't understand it either, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, no. It's weird and hard to get. I learned about Marshall McLuhan when I was in college in journalism classes, or actually yeah. I should say in communications classes, because it's really not journalism per se. And it was, it was even introduced then as like, well, here's this interesting philosopher with some interesting ideas. But the one takeaway that really did matter, and this is the name, why he names that book, you know, The Medium is the Massage, is that basically the idea that what the, me, the way that media works, the kind of media actually does Work impact. You over. Yeah, it works you over it. And that's why the media is the massage because it's working you over your whole mm -hmm. self. <laughs> and that there are differences. The different kinds of media are excel at things. Making my skeptical face. Mm. It is a really interesting book. And yeah. part of the reason it's interesting is that while there's some super weird parts, and it is very it's much of its time, way. like there's pages where the text is upside down and backwards. <laughs> oh, it's <on>. psychedelic. <laughs> it's very psychedelic. psychedelic. Is um, that why you're wearing your everything is cool shirt? Yeah. <laughs> oh, are you hey. a statement? <laughs> um, it, it's, but it is a really interesting book. It's very short, very easy to read. And there's a lot of content in there that really applies to what's happening right now with social media. What's happening right now with social media? I don't it know. exists. Yeah. It and, it, and it changes the way people view the world. Mm. And that's really what he's saying was media. It cha changes. Oh, it's not data. Is... It's not just data that you take in, it changes how you right. perceive things. Well, yeah. it also his definition of media was oh, yeah. another oh. one of the <laughs> weak points. So he basically, he says a light bulb is media. Oh! Because, it, because it changes what, it changed our culture. And that's, it, that for some reason, somehow that's media. Because we, before was, the light bulb, people couldn't stay up at night. So he's a black home. mirror guy? <laughs> yeah, there, one of the summaries of his philosophies that I saw basically said he uses the word media, but what he really means is technology. technology yeah. Right? Technology. Uh, he uses the word media. He's a media philosopher, but what he really means, if someone says a light bulb is media, yeah, he's saying, he, and he talks about you know tools extend, you know, media like right. hammers extend ah. your ability to do. And it's like, oh, okay, well, right, hot, goes, cool media is. Give me a break. Technology. Give me a break. <laughs> he wasn't going out of his way to make himself really clearly understood. <laughs> I'm not sure he actually had a grasp on his own point. <laughs> yeah. Just a, yeah. I mean, yeah. Seems All gimmicky. Right. I think we should move on to the next for movie. The next movie? Oh, I did want to say one thing, though. It, one thing? Well, yes. And I don't know if this is actually relates to anything that we're going to talk about, but it had not occurred to me when I started reading, you know, the little bit about the Cold War and how there weren't any bombs and blah, blah, blah. And then I realized, well, we've been attacked. We're, at, we're in a Cold War right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. We are Multiple ones, in Cold at War. The very least. We have a Cold War with Russia, where they attack us, uh -huh. but not with bombs. That's the classical Cold War we're yes. at. Yeah, except that we're not. Uh, but we're I have They're having trouble fighting back. Right. We, we're no one's willing to declare it. There's only one <laughs> army fighting, but uh, <laughs> but they are making a war on us. Yeah, um, yeah and that's I, right. I just hadn't connected that before. Well, but this is a Cold War right now. I mean, we are at a Cold War, if you count if you count that type of stuff, we're at a Cold War with multiple countries. Mm -hmm. We are fighting with North Korea in and the same China, way we're fighting sure. with Russia or China, except we're also allies with some of these countries. Mm -hmm. You ready mm -hmm. to talk about the company you keep? Yes. I'm not synopsizing that. I'll try. I may need help at the beginning, because the beginning of the movie is the part <laughs> I remember the least. Watched a few 
days ago. <laughs> uh, it starts with Susan Sarandon looking out a window. Right. So Susan Sarandon playing, and I will not remember anyone's name. Susan Sharon. Salar, oh, Sharon Salars. Um, don't we get a little s- splash at the beginning about the weather, the weatherman? Did they start with like a weatherman newscast Brown. about the weatherman? I think they do. Like from the time. Wait, not... weatherman? Weather underground. weather underground. Well, they were they're called, called the, the weatherman. weatherman in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And they are also they oh, were also right. called the weather oh, underground. Right. Not, not the weather underground. Yeah. The weatherman. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. I think because no, they were called but weathermen. They at started the time. with the actual like footage from the yes. like contemporary news story. Yeah, they it's showed... based on true events, but yeah. it is not true events. Right. I think is, that was the point where they talked about the various places that they had bombed, and then they show a part of a bank heist. Right. Right. Yes. right. So we see Susan Sarandon. She looks sad. Her family's leaving for the morning. Um, she's, I forget what her fake character name is, but she takes the credit card and her ID and hops you mean in the her, car. I, her fake her alias. Yeah, I don't know her <laughs> alias, but she goes to a gas station and all the police cars and FBI roll up on her and arrest her. Oh no, Sharon Salars has been arrested. She was actually part of the Weathermen living underground for the past. They say 30 years, but time works in a funny right. way in this movie. <laughs> yeah, one of the problems, one of the big problems with this movie Huge. is that none of the timelines work in real life. A lot of I this don't think that's Only a big if there's problem. 365 days in a year. I think that's I think that's just there's stuff that happened a while ago and there's now. I, I this takes place in the future picky time to is, worry about the time. Time has become soft and malleable. <laughs> so, how old you need to be and yeah. how, for time to line up is unclear. Well, I mean so we should probably say the weathermen were doing their stuff in the early 70s. It was right yes. after after 1968, a bunch of little militant groups formed because the peace movement wasn't going anywhere. And they thought there, they literally thought there was going to be a revolution. And so they were preparing for that. And the weathermen was one of those groups. I think they may say 1971 specifically in the movie, like as maybe when the bank robbery. But some of them place. were around into the 80s. Right. Uh, so she's... Not the weatherman, though. No. <laughs> and it was not 30 years ago, no matter when you measure the, the state from. <laughs> no. So there, yeah, if we're going to, I'm sure, talk about the ages and dates here, but none of it lines up correctly. Uh, so Sharon Solars has been arrested. Then I think we jump over to Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Our hero. Uh, I cannot remember the name of his character, but he's a reporter for the Atlanta Daily Sun, I think. No, Al- Al- Albany. Albany, Albany, you're yeah. right. Yeah, I was going to say, not, not, not <laughs> no, as no. big a city as... <laughs> Albany Daily Sun, and boy, I cannot remember where oh, he yeah. started. Oh, yeah, so his, his editor adventure. is um, played by Stanley Tucci, Yay. and he sort of gets on him, and he's like, listen, this big story just happened in our backyard. We need to not get scooped on this. Maybe go be a reporter and do some things. Fine, uh. <laughs> and then And then they cut to Robert Redford. Yes, and Robert Redford playing Jim grant but also another guy <laughs> with his alias and his real name he played i think graves and grant graves he had two grant. aliases in the movie yeah and and then his real name was sloan but he's in a he's an attorney his uh wife has just recently passed away within a year ago uh he is an ancient wizened old man <laughs> with his 12 taking his 12 year old daughter to elementary and school and he's a lawyer did you say that and he's a no. lawyer well so he takes her to elementary school and his friend Stephen root bumps into him and says hey i need to talk to you uh sharon solars just got arrested you should be her attorney because you do civil rights attorneying and you'd be great for this and he's like no 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 i don't want to do that 
uh, somebody else, here's the name of someone to call. Call this woman. She'll be the attorney. And Gotta it's, go. It's kind of weird that Stephen Root, who obviously also was one of the weathermen, would come to his friend. They yeah, live in the like, same neighborhood? He would, know, he would know that they're all <laughs> underground. Underground. And he'd right. probably be like, maybe I don't want to bring attention to you. Stephen Root, who must have been eight when <laughs> Robert Redford was uh, an activist. No, they're contemporaries. Right. So Robert Redford, I looked it up, was born in 1936. I looked that up too. During the movie being like, come on. So Susan Sarandon, I think she was born in 1946. 40s, like 40s, yeah. And then there was some other character, maybe uh, Julie Christie, born in 1941. Mm-hmm. So they, they're kind of, I mean, the 10-year spread is pretty big. Well, also, if you're born in 1941, then when the Weathermen were active, you were a young 30, mid-30s activist. I was going to say, again, this whole, maybe when he was in college, he was already 30. Maybe he's in this, his character is really only 55, and he just has smoked a lot and had led a really <laughs> hard life. Sure. Too much has cursed exposure. him with <laughs> some sort of... They, they never say how they never have a birthday party for him. We don't know. He He's, aged a lot in the year since his right. wife died. He may just have been, you know, 50-something. And all of his friends. Living underground is hard. You get yeah. a lot and of all wrinkles. of his friends, some of whom are clearly much younger than him. But even the ones that are old, you know, they're all just... You know, some have moisturized. Who knows? Some don't. <laughs> That's just, except all of this was 30 years ago, so he is 50. Right. And what decade was it 30 years ago? Yeah. It was, it was, it was the 1980s. It was the 80s. <laughs> oh, right. Because did they ever say when this no, movie I don't think they give takes a year. place? But it definitely, they have, everyone has cell phones. Yeah. They yeah. have the internet. And I think they have flip phones, right? So, like, not, not no, surfing the web was No, someone was... I thought Shia LaBeouf was looking up something on his phone. I think he had a BlackBerry, but I don't think he had actual, I mean, it's like, mobile web. technology. They don't try to. I don't know. I, I think it's early 2000s because I think he, like, can communicate via email and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think, yeah, I'm trying text, to, I'm, text I'm messaging trying to came out the around time zone. 2002, <laughs> but there wasn't actual, like, I used to work for Verizon, um, <laughs> <laughs> but there wasn't actual, like, smartphones until 2007, 2008. So well, yeah, and also, I don't know. It feels like it would have been important to bring up some of contemporary news during the time that this t- takes place, but they don't. So well, I think that's part of the whole leave it all. <laughs> yeah, it's very if ambiguous. If you're hiring an 84 year old leading man <laughs> and hiring his contemporaries as other characters, and you're choosing actors that are anywhere from 20 to 30 years younger than him. <laughs> You just don't don't show any. They weren't dates. that much younger. No, than I know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's try to get through this. Sure. <laughs> so he Stephen Root says do this stuff. He says no way. Go talk to my my friend. He's a great lawyer. Hops in his car and drives away. Uh, Shia LaBeouf. He goes and... to visit the FBI. Actual cannibal. What? Actual cannibal. Shia LaBeouf. Is he an actual cannibal? Um, we, have, we need to look that up on the internet. If you have not seen the song "Actual Cannibal," Shia LaBeouf. You need to see it. Oh, this boy. is Shia LaBeouf before his career imploded. Um, before he became a performance artist. Yeah, performance before artist. stuff happened. Yeah. I kind of like him better as a performance artist. <laughs> I kind of turned, come around on that guy. Uh, he He's going to go, what is his he first step? He goes to the FBI because he has a contact to, there to ah, figure out how yes. they found One thing we should mention that this movie has all the actors in it. Yeah. yeah. So Great every, cast. every character that is introduced is, is at, no matter how short a term they have in the movie, is they are a name actor. Name actor. Yeah. Did we? I think we saw um, 
Terrence Howard was doing. Oh, he yeah, he showed up. Head, he arrested yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Susan Sarandon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Shia LaBeouf goes and meets his friend, romantic interest Anna Kendrick, who also works at the FBI. Yeah, she gives him a dossier with. No, she accidentally tells him the name of the person who they were wiretapped. Well, no, she accidentally let it slip that they found her because they had wiretapped someone. Yeah, And he was like, oh, what wiretap? And she was like, uh, just go talk to this guy. I'm a bad FBI. But, yeah. <laughs> who is the, I, I, this is why I've, at the beginning of this movie, I don't remember very well. So who was it that the first step in this chain? Is that Stephen Stephen Root? Root. They were tapping his phones. Okay. Why so, and how is never really explained. No, but, and she, well, and she doesn't know <laughs> that she shouldn't explain it. And she shouldn't have even said who but they the, were wiretapping. But for the audience, we're like, why would they be looking into this guy specifically? Like, but who were they tapping? Out. But he wasn't underground, I don't <laughs> no, think. No, he was just a dude. He was out of jail. Yeah. He, they talked about him having been and in jail. Was at he some point. in jail because he was a member of the Weather no, Underground? No, he was charged with drug smuggling, I thought. Yeah, I think so and too. And Robert Redford's character had represented him. Which makes it Which is weird because he's not a criminal defense attorney. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, there's so many questions this brings up. uh, The other thing is they they were wiretapping him and the Susan Sarandon character called him to tell him that she was giving herself up. Yeah. And then they arrested her for some reason, even though she was about to turn herself over anyway. See, I never got the impression that she actually was like... Yeah, yeah, she was on her way. She was turning herself herself in. in. Yeah, and Shia LaBeouf writes this story and the FBI gets mad at him because they're like... You know, we, we didn't do anything that. wrong. We didn't know she was actually going to go there. We didn't know if she would be, you know, passive and not violent. Like, we needed to control the situation. We had a lead. We were looking for this girl, lady for 30 20, years. 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> we're going for it now. Even so. though she lives within, I don't know, spitting distance of the two other yeah. weather. Apparently Albany people. is the place to hang out if you are going underground. <laughs> so the scene where he goes and talks to Anna Kendrick is at the, at the same time that he is asked for specifically by the Susan Sarandon character. Mm-mm. No, no, that's, oh, that's much later. later. Okay. They, they loop around. So right at, he talks to Anna Kendrick, so then he hops in his car and drives to Stephen Root's farm. Mm-hmm. I assume a root farm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and says, hey, what's, tell me all about uh, your, this, connection. your connection with this woman. Did you know she was undercover? Blah, blah, blah. And he says, oh, uh, I connected her up. All I did was connect her up with this attorney. No, no. He says, uh, how did you find out about me? Did you hear it from blah, 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 whatever mm. Robert Redford's character's name is? And he was like, Jim no, who's about. that? And he was like, oh, that's Dude, an attorney that I was going to. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Everybody keeps throwing out that. names. Off the, off the record. Off the record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. And at which point Stephen Root's like, that's what's wrong with journalism these days. You're always telling people stuff and then get off my property. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was kind of a theme of the movie. All of the weathermen characters were always very you know, anti news. Giving a finger to the news people. (laughs) Giving them fingers, giving them a finger, and also just dropping major leads to the next. Shia LaBeouf is never actually good at his job. People just keep throwing information at him. One of my complaints that we'll probably talk about later is the fact that both the weathermen hate him for being a journalist and the FBI hate him for being a journalist. Even though he is helping both of them throughout yes. the entire movie. Yeah, but that's the that t- throws us back to the previous movie where that guy is saying, everybody wants to beat us down. De- We're news right. people. Oh, everybody wants to beat us down. It and sucks this movie, being a newsman. Well, in the next scene when he goes to interview Robert Redford and he's like, listen, I don't have a dog in this fight. And Robert Redford is like, do you think that makes you a good person? That you're yeah. just neutral? Like, 
no, that doesn't absolve you of anything. Like, maybe you should pick a side. Man, like, that scene with Robert Redford where he goes and meets him the first time is terrible, by yeah. the way. Because he's Shia LaBeouf rolls up to Robert Redford's place and says, hey, I heard that you were talked to about representing Sharon Talars. You know, kind of what, why didn't you want to do it? What's going on? You know, doing his He's like, really hostile. Yeah, he's very pressing. And Robert Redford is deflecting it. But he's deflecting it like... No, I don't really want to, although I strongly believe in her beliefs. Yeah. No, I'm not really interested in helping someone who's so courageous. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't understand as a journalist. And it's like, yeah, he says something not really like, very undercover. I recommended another attorney because she deserves the best defense. Right. And Shia LaBeouf is like, oh, she deserves it, does she? Like, oh, we gotta go, we gotta it's go. It's weirdly hostile. It really is. Then he drive. then Shia LaBeouf, I think there's like, he eventually ends up so interviewing. He, he, Robert Redford is driving away from their conversation and he surreptitiously takes a photograph of the license plate yes and then takes it to the dmv and bribes <laughs> the dmv guy hey, to get so... the social security <laughs> number of side, robert redford side note if you are a like journalist at a small town paper do you have a lot of walking around bribing cash i mean 20 bucks isn't that much to bribe someone 20 it looked like a lot more and he does this multiple times i'm like he doesn't have a contact he just literally just hands a stack of cash to somebody there yeah it wasn't great well and then he immediately goes to another place and hands a stack of cash yeah. to somebody right. else yeah yeah because yeah. at that point I'm like has he got a lot of money working at the albany sometimes because i don't is think he's gonna get normal is this a back normal part this? of their process well it kind of seems like it is because both the people he goes to i mean especially the second person he goes to is like yeah i got you this is our this is our ongoing relationship yeah you, i take social I, securities numbers from you and then i research them and tell you who they belong to apparently well, was weird at least for me i don't remember them ever actually giving any background on shia's character like Mm -mm. how he became a reporter if he's any good at being a reporter what his like actual department is uh he he has that interaction with tucci several times like i'm your best reporter yeah (laughs) who's who's your best reporter that's me yeah but yeah Yeah, she's like the other guy and stanley tucci (laughs) says give me your gun and your bed you're a loose cannon we can't have you reporting like a wild man yeah, he's just apparently this You're great journalist case. at the age of 23. You know, got a lot of spending cash. and well, you know, He has, obviously has some, there's something about him that he's causes, so that causes surly people to just drop Ugh, further clues. Listen, so I'm gross. not going to tell you a thing. And I'm uh, certainly not going to tell you that you should go talk to <laughs> Bob because he has nothing to do with it. And he lives over there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, whoops. Yeah. Journalist today. Off the record, off the record. Uh, so he's got, he's got some kind of hypnotic powers that... Uh, he investigates some stuff. He goes and bribes a bunch of people for more clues. Um, at some point, he gets a call that says, you're the only one Sharon Solars is going to talk to, though, because she talks to... She... Yeah, she demands... She says she's only she going to talk to him. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. means but... she must have heard about him from Stephen Root. How does she know he exists? They never well, met. Yeah. Well, he no, wrote, no, she, she wrote knows, an article she knows... about her. Oh, the, oh you're the, right. Yeah, you're yeah. right. He publishes his first article. But so did the rest of the known universe remember that because he's gonna get scooped by he you know they got scooped yeah. the fbi had this thing and now the whole world knows about but this his person was being the arrested. nice one I right guess. none Maybe of the others it. pissed off the fbi only right. his because he was made her somehow sympathetic or something which i have a few things i want to say about oh, later the cat, there's so much going on in this movie that's just poorly thought out so he wrote he goes to the fbi to talk to her in interrogation terrence howard's like i hate journalists you you just always muddy you don't make us look good but thanks for all the tips that led us to all these arrests or whatever yeah. 
I can't believe it. And somebody in my team gave you some secret info, and I hate that. Dirty look to... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> and then oh. Anna Kendrick's like, never talk to me again. Yeah. And I hate you <laughs> so much, but here, have your interview. We'll be fine. We'll wait outside. <laughs> Uh, so then he interviews Susan Sarandon. Sort of. She really lays she, it down. She just monologues. <laughs> yeah, she gives the thing that probably got her cast in this movie, which is a big Emmy, a big Academy Award style monologue about how, sure, somebody died, but we were in it for the right reasons and people were getting killed left and right. It sucked. Uh, God, there's Okay, so <laughs> the Weathermen did blow up bombs. I don't believe they robbed any banks. This whole movie is predicated on the fact that the Weathermen robbed a bank yeah there were lots of groups that did rob banks i don't believe the weathermen robbed any banks well and the weathermen were not didn't go underground they did go underground i yeah. mean they were no they were didn't, no, didn't they like a janitor die or something from one of their moms no. or is that a different group uh, lots of people were injured okay one of three of their own people were killed when a bomb detonated when they were building it but oh. no they none of their bombs killed any people but some of the members of the weather underground are known Alex, do you want me to explain why they're yeah, let's, oh, let's I looked this up. Like in Bill Ayers. Let's talk about Bill right. Ayers. There, you can type into your Googler, <laughs> why isn't Bill Ayers in jail? Because they committed federal crimes. Sure. Because he's reason, white? The reason they're not in jail, and this is going to come back in a future episode, is because the FBI did a whole bunch of illegal things. And so a federal judge said, sorry. <laughs> your you evidence all bad. Right. You can't, you cannot uh, charge Trample them with the any crimes because you committed crimes getting evidence. Hmm. Ah. And the way that people found out that the FBI had committed crimes uh, against, you know, they did a lot of uh, illegal wiretapping and uh, searched their family members' homes and I such. I my answer It's because Shia LaBeouf found out? No, no, it's because some people <laughs> broke into an FBI audience and, uh, uh, office and stole all their papers. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> that showed that they were doing illegal illegal. Crimes. I would have watched that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, and we're, we're complaining watch that, movie, that, that, that this movie <laughs> okay. was disjointed and didn't make sense. Come on, real yeah. life. Look <laughs> at this <laughs> Right. So anyway, that's why. Still sounds like because he's white. But that's also why this movie doesn't make sense because the Weathermen, they did go underground, but then they didn't have to be underground anymore because they couldn't be charged with any crimes, so they came above ground. Well, when did they indoctrinate Barack Obama to be a secret Muslim or whatever? Uh, that was in the 2000s. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. You know, it was when he was elected in 1997. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 30 years ago? 30 years ago in 1997. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, dear. So <laughs> Susan Sarandon basically gives an explanation to why they did what they did. Things were terrible. People, People were getting died. killed left right. and right. Vietnam there was a draft. War. Anyone who was young was up at danger of being killed. Um, so they were doing what they can, and uh, somebody died, and that was bad, but it was an accident. Um, does she what, does she drop another clue? I assume she does. No, at this point, he takes all the stuff he's found through his bribes to um, his boss and says, I want to write this article about this guy probably being <laughs> oh jimmy grant the, the missing you know sloan is his, his yeah. real name yeah. he says the reason why uh, he, he doesn't have any um identity before 1979 oh my right. god that, but then he also looks at two pictures of him side by side yeah. that which by the, the way it was like uh yeah he, <laughs> he looks the exact same he's the same guy that's the secret <laughs> key here yeah and just for the record just look at two pictures there are there are pictures posted on a bulletin board with the yarn <laughs> I, that's, that's real journalism is that his or the fbi's i think that was his as he's doing because you see him doing all his research and getting his stuff and i just like mm. oh it's the pictures with the yarn <laughs> and the pins the other thing is they're that's the, the fbi goes. they only have one picture 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. They're in fact it's <laughs> they're bumbling. Like the FBI is doing at all throughout this no, movie. No, they are very bumbling in this movie. He, they so only have one picture that the Terrence Howard character actually says something about it out loud. It's like, why don't we have a more current picture of this guy? I'm like, <laughs> it, he lives it's in the he's same neighborhood. <laughs> it, it did seem like most of their investigation consists of reading the morning paper. It's yeah. like, oh, we should well, have done this. That. Oh, oh okay, no, hold on. <laughs> in fact, at some point in the movie, they say, well, we're just going to follow the reporter around. Let's yeah. just keep an eye he on knows him. What's up. But they hate his guts because he's so bad. <laughs> well, Terrence sort of threatens him and he's like listen you seem to be at the center of a lot of this i hope we don't find out that you're involved even though you're 23 years old and how could you possibly (laughs) we don't find out you're his grandson yeah right but yeah so robert redford's character seemed to have been spooked after yeah you know the first meeting and uh thus begins the robert redford adventure yeah the actual meat of the movie (laughs) he takes his daughter uh to a hotel to a hotel then he Plans Man. an elaborate ruse. I don't understand how he got that phone to his brother so quickly. He mails I think, a phone to his brother. Because oh, he had Jack- already had the phone call with his brother who says, you know, like, I don't want to talk to you. And he's like, oh, it's, you know, about my daughter. Played like, by Chris Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. Another great actor. So Chris Cooper, basically there's a big, I don't know, elaborate scheme where Robert Redford pulls the fire alarm at the hotel just as the FBI is closing in. But his brother gets there at time to pick up his daughter as he sneaks out the back door. Uh, because apparently the FBI is too to stupid to understand what a fire alarm is. <laughs> They're like, it's cool. Nobody can go in or out. And Terrence Howard's like, it's a fire alarm. Everyone's People are going to go out. out. <laughs> <laughs> Look for an old man hobbling one mile an hour out of here. Oh, no, we got away. Right. And they're not watching the back door, yeah. by the way. Sure. That's <laughs> So the Robert Redford character just goes out the back door and escapes, Bye. and they catch well, his brother. Well, as an attorney, he's already given his brother documentation saying, you're the legal guardian of, the, of child. the child. Yeah, that's right. So now his daughter's safe with his brother, but he's got to go on the lam. But why would he go on the lam if actually he's a criminal? And why would he go on the lam if it kind of looks like he might want to pick up his daughter again later? These right. Are the real I mean, Shia, Shia LaBeouf is wondering why he left his daughter behind if he was really on the lam. Because if you're really on the lam, you, you take, take your, your child with you. Right. Yeah, and you just create a new identity, which you've you know clearly mm-hmm. got experience at. Although movie later in the movie. You explained to us how he did it before. He left his daughter behind before uh-huh. in the underground. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, so but that was it wouldn't different. be the first time. So Shia LaBeouf, for some reason, because he's so puzzled by this, because he's such mm. a good reporter, you guys, <laughs> goes to interview the uh, people surrounding the original crime that yes, these people the went robbery. underground for. And he starts by, because he can't get a hold of the cop who was investigating it, mm-hmm. he goes and bothers his daughter. Yeah. At college, because that's what you do when you're a reporter. No, 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 no. no, no, no. He that's talks to the cop first and see, meets the daughter. Right. Uh. He sees the daughter and he does like a double take when he sees oh, her. Oh, mama. He I hits himself on his head with his shoe. His eyes turn into hard and stick out of his I didn't think that's why he was doing it, actually. I thought I he was doing it, was. it because he had seen the other daughter first. And he sees this girl, oh, and she that. looks oh, and just... they look similar. They look very similar. And I, I, I thought it was the other way around. Mm-hmm. I thought it was being real sexist, the way Anna Kendrick's yeah. character is being portrayed, here's in my, that he thought my she evidence. was soft. Yeah. And he could get information Wait. out of her by charming her. Here's my evidence. What's your evidence, Mom? <laughs> I thought that when I saw him do that. And uh-huh. then when he goes to the... When he, when he sees her at the restaurant... The, ne- the next time he sees her, which yeah. is at the restaurant, he goes into her booth and says, You don't look like your parents. 
It's the very first thing he says to her. Yeah, but that's also, but he also flirts with her through that whole oh, thing. Oh, sure. Because yeah, and he also, yeah, but, we, but right, I think he's we, doing it to like soften her up because he's so charming. Skip the head of a very important <laughs> scene. So he is looking for the cop who was at the bank robbery. I'm not exactly sure what he keys him up that he needs to talk to the cop first, but he's like, I'm going to talk to the cop because the cop was there and he knows a lot or whatever. And through his connections, he calls somebody, or he goes and talks to somebody who says, oh, yeah, um, he's at the yacht club. I thought that was the daughter he was talking to on the phone. I thought that was his wife. And, she, and he was like, yeah, if, if not, I'm going to meet a ghost. No, oh, it's, the first, it's not his daughter. He's ta- yeah, I think he was talking to the daughter, yeah, but you don't see her. No, it's just, uh, it's he, just a voice, just on, the voice on the phone. Oh, okay. So he goes and talks to the cop who basically says, I'm not going to tell you anything. It was just a normal routine case. But as and oh, and, buzz and the, off. the boss is the, the the cop is played by yeah, Mad Eye Moody, uh, Brendan Gleeson, <laughs> who uh, he's one of the repeat characters. Oh, two people we've just talked about are people mm-hmm. we've seen in previous movies for this podcast. Brendan Gleeson was in Suffragette; he played the inspector. Oh yeah, I did. And um, Britt Britt Marling was in the East. And Robert Redford will be in a future movie we watch. Try and guess which one. That is correct. (laughs) Uh, So he talks to the cop who doesn't give him any useful information. But as he's talking to the cop at the end of their conversation, his wife and daughter walk up and Shia LaBeouf goes, oh, oh, bull. And then he leaves. (laughs) And then he meets the daughter again at a bar when her He's there. He's there like with all his books and stuff. Yeah. And she's there on a date. I think he's stalking her. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure. Uh, So her date walks to the bathroom and to get a drink and Shia LaBeouf is like hey you don't look like your parents baby why don't we go get coffee or a drink or something or let's talk or what's going on he gives her a choice coffee or a dinner yeah and he doesn't take no for an answer like a true journalist yeah definitely not like a sexual harasser right and he puts the pressure on her before her boyfriend gets back to the table to give him an answer and so she tells him, coffee? No, come meet me at school. I forget what her exact answer he, he t- is. She tells him a place to meet for coffee. Oh. Yeah, union coffee or whatever. Mm. Uh, so then he leaves. And then does he meet her for coffee next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He yeah, does some a- investigation, though, during this time. Because he's trying to, like, puzzle it. At some point in one of these scenes, he's like, Robert Redford's probably innocent. Hmm. Yeah. And then just kind of walks out. Because there's no <laughs> way for him to get that information organically so he just puzzles it out through mental powers at what point does he go to the college to uh, robert redford's character he goes to see a professor who that's later who i think is the yeah. bill Ayers uh right equivalent yeah, yeah whatever we call that because he's analogy. he's going to look for the third woman who's underground and stops by to see if that guy has any information on where she right. could be which he does so we're now cutting back and forth between Shia LaBeouf looking for Robert Redford and trying to puzzle out what happened. And Robert Redford, you're not sure what he's doing, but he's looking for this mysterious woman who was at the bank robbery. And for some reason, once again, he tricks a character when he's talking to the daughter into giving him information. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, oh, I thought that your father said he didn't know the, <sighs> you know, the woman at all. And so if you said that you spent time with her in the Upper Peninsula... At some then. point, Robert Redford pulls a photo out of his wallet of a woman and a baby and goes, mm, yeah. and then puts it back in his wallet. A very <laughs> old photo, on. older than would be appropriate for his current daughter, who is 11. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I don't know. And we, I don't know when they introduce the Julie Christie character. You see her on her yacht. Oh, with uh, Sam Elliott. Yeah. I yes. love that. She, she's a drug smuggler. <laughs> she's a smuggling, in California. smuggling pot. 
on her yacht. And they're you just see, hanging out having a good yeah. time. Yeah, you see the coast you see the coast guard stop them and she says, "Oh, we're just training." because oh, they've the crossed Carolina someone. cup. Yes, yeah, cuz they're, they're in the sea, they're in the shipping lane. Yeah, and she's like, "Don't worry, we're fast enough to get out of the way of any ship." And okay. they all go, "Ha ha ha." And then you see them unloading bales of <laughs> marijuana. <laughs> yeah. And then she goes to wherever Sam Elliott is. That, that weird is her boyfriend, the day trader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Is he supposed to be a weatherman undercover? No, no, but he's running. I thought the drug operation was his. Okay. Was my impression. Oh, I had. I thought that's no. That's my impression as well. Oh, my my thought was no. He's he's cool with it, but he's a day trader. He's doing. He's buying think, and selling stocks online. I think her <laughs> character is drawn to quote-unquote activist men and i think that's why she's dating him because she's drawn to whatever his drug smuggling (laughs) activism is and and well the reason i think that is because when she's like oh i'm gonna leave now he's like cool yeah not like i'm I'm always here yeah Yeah. not like oh this i my impression was she'll leave and somehow and else will smuggle the drugs to his house yeah Hmm. as opposed to before although it's not not made clear no it's and also sam elliott really has no yeah, no like, that's right it's good that house. he's in it we yeah. like sam <laughs> yeah it's great to see him uh oh, he's also we also saw him in the the contender he's oh, another one of the repeat you're right actors uh so now let's see so robert redford's looking for this woman shia labeouf confronts the daughter again at the college i don't even know do we get anything out of this scene yeah this is when the daughter drops that her family actually did know Whatever the third they woman's would go name fishing is. in some place on some they call it the UP, the Upper yeah. Peninsula, mm, and that's right. when Shia that LaBeouf goes to get all the family records. Uh, he goes to the map place, and there's a very bad map reader there. He's, I'm he's just texting on his phone. He doesn't actually know his job at all. <laughs> <laughs> How do I read a map? I just yeah. work here. I just work here. I don't know what this white area on the map means, <laughs> or this green part, or where it is, or how to get there, or what a <laughs> map is. It almost felt like that guy had more are. lines, and Shia LaBeouf <laughs> is like. So, is this part of the property? Like, trying to line feed him? And the guy's like, I don't know. Could be. Uh, Robert Redford goes to... I just oh, work for a map well, company. Should, I don't know how to We should probably say what the purpose of the map scene was. I barely understand. It's to show the, like, property. Well, yeah. He's trying to find end, out right? where they go fishing. Yeah. Because he yeah. thinks that... And he somehow now knows that just, Robert Redford is chasing down the third... The bank he just says lady. out loud, oh, I think he's probably innocent. This is what an innocent guy would do. So and he can get his daughter later. Right. Well, and I then think he's, he's also chasing just down general... the woman because she can testify that he is innocent. Yeah. He's, he's right. investigating the original crime and thinks, this woman probably has something to do with it. And, and they do raise, I can find her. At some point, they do raise the question of, well, why would he be doing this now? And I don't know if I ever got an answer for that that made a lot of sense to me. Why is Robert Redford doing this now? Yeah. Because he was about to get caught. Because of his daughter. You don't yeah. want to be innocent... 25 years ago if it all it took was oh, oh confrontation what it takes is to have someone who's guilty make a sta- statement make against a their statement, interest yes and say and turn themselves in and he doesn't think that what's her face would have done it 20 years ago yeah. i'm also not clear as to why that's what requires it because multiple people know some of the details of this crime he didn't commit they right. talked about because they said that they wouldn't believe Sharon Stone's character, Sharon Stone, <laughs> Susan oh, Sarandon's character, right. play whose character's name is Sharon, um, because she pleads not guilty, so she can't say he wasn't involved if she's saying I'm she's not, not guilty. guilty. I wasn't there A either. statement by her doesn't carry any weight. Okay, you have to have somebody saying, "Yeah, he yeah, wasn't I did there. It and it wasn't. I'm the one who did it, yeah. not him, me, and not the policeman who's also done some crimes or yeah. whatever he did." But this property is like just a hop, skip, and a jump from Canada. 
right. which is yes. important. <laughs> but also, I mean, Shia LaBeouf goes to the police, the cop, and what is he? He says that he's figured it out. Yeah. That he did the math and... And, that and it, that's the, not it, easy. He's like, that's not... Your, your adopted daughter, we know where she was adopted from. Right. Right. So we... You, you're, you've been covering for right. a while. We find out that Robert Redford is the father of the Brit Marling character who is the adopted daughter of the cop. But we, and yeah. that the mother is the other woman on the run. The, woman, the Yeah, the drug dealer. And I will just... Just to reiterate, this is the genius of the journalist Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> is he did the math. Yeah. And none of us here can do the math. <laughs> because the math doesn't so, add up. Your daughter, <laughs> that's what we say. But he obviously is yeah. working at a higher level than we are. He's like, yeah. And he can do the math and figure this your out. Your daughter is about 20. Yeah, and this and took place she, 30 years ago. She's in college now. <laughs> the bank robbery took place 30 years you ago. You got yeah. trouble with it. Apparently got trouble uh, just with a it. decade went <laughs> missing somewhere. A lot of lost time. Uh, he just uh, put the yarn up in the right ways and said, uh-huh. wait a minute, I'm the math. <laughs> I know where this is going. Robert Redford goes to a college and confronts uh, Professor What's-His-Face, Professor Bill Ayers, and says, <laughs> you, we, I know we don't like each other. Played by Richard Jenkins. Played by Richard Jenkins. You don't like me and I don't like you. But also... Tell me where this lady is so she can plead guilty. And he goes, I don't want to, but here he is. Here she is. But also, you have a daughter now, so I feel bad for you. Here's they, the address. They, they go to, a, they meet up at a, um art installation or, a, you know, one of those places where people put art. Art yeah. exhibit? A gallery? <laughs> a gallery. I forgot about my favorite a part museum? of this movie. I was trying to figure out what that display was. I mean, you it was clothing. Part? What? Oh, Jacob said there was a favorite part, and I was surprised you had a favorite part. Was it in the gallery? No, it's right after the gallery. I was trying to figure out what they were looking at. Well, anyway, so at the gallery, the guy gives him a phone number. For his friend. For his friend who knows where Julie Christie is? Oh, yeah, Yeah. she does. Yeah. She she sends him off to meet up with Sam Elliott. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, I think he just calls Sam Elliott. And she's already gone by then. Yeah, and he says, okay, but I know where she was going. And my favorite part of this movie is Robert Redford goes to the lumberyard, meets his best new best friend, Nick Nolte. Nolte. Oh, yes. <laughs> another, yet another notch there. Yeah. You can put Sam Elliott and Nick Nolte in the same movie. Who was like a lesser weatherman, uh, but is just along for the ride. And he's, he's like, also like in charge of hiring everybody and hires lots of people who are underground old and radicals and, like, and stuff <laughs> old radicals <laughs> he's like oh you know robert redford's like oh that guy over there looks like a dude we used to know and he's like yeah that is the dude and okay. robert redford's like oh i thought he died and he's like yep and now he's back <laughs> and so yeah i love nick nolte's character here uh they have a conversation in a car where he's robert redford's trying to get nick nolte to tell him where to go to find this woman and nick nolte's like oh, okay fine <laughs> here's my car but he's also like we're best friends remember yeah right <laughs> we used to be the best of friends oh no the fbi is close by no he's fine he got away yeah yeah robert he redford gets hobbles away, out of there but nick nolte gets arrested yes was I forget, no, no he, he tried... told he told nick nolte to call and say tell them i stopped by to see you and you wouldn't give nolte me any gives him a car at the right end of but the it looks like He's being arrested. There's. A, I mean, I'm sure they're questioning him. Oh, yeah. FBI. Oh, yeah. He doesn't yeah. actually like. He's not part he, of. He didn't end up on a news but... segment conveniently in the next scene <laughs> to tell us that he had what been happened? arrested. So. Uh, and then we basically get the last few scenes here. Uh, Robert Redford goes up to the cabin to confront what's her face. She's uh, not immediately there. She's not immediately there. Um, but she is there, and they have a long, stinky monologue where the two of them talk about 
kids and, and ra- what's right in life. And, and, and yeah. Robert Redford's like, yeah, it was cool being an activist when I was young, but now it sucks. You should turn <laughs> yourself well, in. You're on the run. You got to be on the run. Right. And but they I, make it very clear that they abandoned their child yeah. initially, the, the yeah. Brit Marling daughter. And he's kind of saying, I don't want to do that. And I think you should think a little bit about what we did and how wrong it was and maybe yeah. not make me do it again. He's clearly like a little, you know, contrite about how they what were they a little too idealistic and didn't realize how bad they were. And she is super stubborn and is like, I'm not going to apologize until all the corporations apologize yeah, for everything they've done wrong. Right. Yeah. It kind of doesn't make any sense because no. if because if you're a true believer in in something, then it you will be able to convince yourself that you should abandon your child and then go on with this thing that you truly believe in. Or and, if you have done that well, for I think 40 that, years and already. She's, she's mad because I think he didn't follow whatever escape plan they had to like join up and run away together. Um, and, and he wasn't part of the bank robbery. So I think she feels a little betrayed that he wasn't as con- you know yeah. strong in his convictions as she was. And so that's another reason she doesn't want to help him. She's sort of a little heartbroken. Although it was a bad plan. The no, no, it was <laughs> it did not, not go well. Yeah, so he keeps sort of trying to be like, yeah, but, you know, I love you. And then and they then, sleep together. They sleep <laughs> together, oddly. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Then she disappears, I think. And then Shia LaBeouf shows up and says, hey, what's up? Why she, you says, up here? she says, I'm not going to do what you want. And he, and He's then like, okay. she takes her backpack and runs off into the woods. Yeah. And then Ro- Shia LaBeouf shows up and Robert Redford is putting on his running shoes. <laughs> and you hear the helicopters right. closing in. Because uh, he, it's his plan to draw off the FBI. Since she didn't agree, he's going to sacrifice himself uh, so that she can escape. Sure, why not? Which doesn't make Because he's super noble. Yeah. He's so noble. He's a huge radical, but also is very much against any sort of violence, unless some well, I think violence. He's supposed to be the guy who has learned, like yeah. he's grown he's and his lesson. Yes. you know become moderate, and he's you know actually pursuing mm-hmm. justice in the court of law now, and like helping who he can through his law practice, not and not you know <laughs> robbing banks and things like that. Uh, and then. Does she get arrested? I mean, how does... No, no. no. She escapes. She escapes, and Robert Redford leads the FBI through the woods until he gets too tired to run anymore, which I think is a nice metaphor, (laughs) (laughs) and sits down, and they arrest him. And then we pan to her boat, (laughs) and she's off, and and then she slowly sort of gets this look on her face and turns the boat around, and then we flash to the news segment of... Her turning herself in. All good guys. And, declared and, innocent. And Robert Redford being set free. <laughs> Daughters reunited. I gotta but say. Oh. There's also the scene where um, the daughter of the cop is really mad at Shia LaBeouf. And she's like, why has my dad left me 12 messages? He said it's about you. What did you say to upset him? Mm. And Shia LaBeouf's all like, you should talk to your dad. Because he doesn't want to be the one to tell her that she's the daughter of <laughs> this, the other <laughs> two people and so we see him at like a restaurant or a coffee shop or something typing up a story about how she's the actual daughter yeah and sort of hesitating about whether or not to send it to be printed and i did think I he didn't <laughs> was the it was because yeah, yeah. of the speech that robert redford gave him in the cabin about you know d- who, who who made the choice to like be involved in this right. and who it's should... kind of the same it's the same theme as the previous movie where it's like, do Thank you goodness. do the bad thing to get your story out or do you do the good thing and protect people? But also like, 
does is this newsworthy like these people didn't ask to be involved in this it's not her fault she was born right. you know she's not part of the weathermen you know is it fair but to like ruin would her eat life that stuff up right as but a that's story. but as a journalist is that newsworthy just because you know what's come out you know well if the newspaper i read has taught me anything <laughs> that's 100 percent what they want in their newspaper well in both these movies the lesson is do the bad thing most of the time but if it's really bad if you feel something if yeah about if it, it personally hurts you or you're personally connected to the story now then maybe I'll, maybe back off a little yeah but i think he's taken aside yeah and he'll and as a result who knows the end <laughs> he'll work at the albany sun times for the rest of his days <laughs> yeah. with never... family duty yeah, yeah. not a bad oh, game. that's not bad okay it's well, a trade-off until the next time someone is like oh here's a crime i did whoops <laughs> <laughs> my bad so, I will say that although, oh, no, although <laughs> I, I did not dislike it as much, like you immediately had this like, nah, it's a terrible movie. And you thought, ah, this is a terrible movie. I was like, this is kind of exciting. I, see, I found like the, that little part of Robert Redford running around or, or coming up with the clever plan to, to get someone to take care of his daughter while he went on the lamb was like the only exciting part. The movie as a whole, I didn't think it was terrible. It was just kind of surprisingly Dull. Dull, exactly. I found our your this discussion about the movie was way more interesting <laughs> yeah. than the actual movie, which is and being a you know a hot medium, I would have thought that that would you know <laughs> just to tie it all together. But I I thought it was like a, a solid C C minus kind it of. It wasn't. Yeah, it just <laughs> it was kind of just didn't not live much up there, to really. its cast or yes. or the subject matter. Yeah, no. right, right. And again, Shia LaBeouf's character, which was a lot of the movie isn't great like he's, no, he's the, kinda, the movie yeah. wants him to be charming and smart mm-hmm. and he's just not and yeah. it's really disappointing and distracting yes it didn't seem like he he didn't kind of like fit the things he was supposed weight. to be Mm-mm. doing he wasn't yeah he should have been charming and was smart this, and he was kind of like eh. was this post transformers yeah, yeah it would have been post transformers so but before he was like he, a big enough name for it to work so when he uh leaves some interview he can hop into bumblebee and... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well he has to have been the hot young thing for that's him what to i was be wondering in this movie. right right yeah he was with this cast of but like you know who would have been better Stars. uh ryan gosling almost anyone but you know from like ides of march <laughs> yeah. like if right. he had sort of had this role sure. instead yeah i would have loved that he could have uh, carried it but it still would have been a bad movie oh, just yeah, because <laughs> sure because of the nonsense yeah i mean yeah, it's all nonsense this movie really tried hard to make the weathermen into heroes i think does it i don't think so no i, I would have gone i, I would wish they had like the three sort of sides they had the susan sarandon who was like really sort of yeah i'm gonna turn myself in now like i've lived long enough <laughs> you know my yeah. daughter is old enough that she can you know take care of herself if i'm not around anymore but she's also young enough that maybe the media won't hound her and like ruin her life over this and then you have the other woman who's completely unapologetic and like mm-hmm still thinks that well, this is the, the way somewhere to be. in the middle yeah and uh-huh. then you have robert redford's character who was kind of a weird medium because yeah. he didn't actually do anything <laughs> so that was the problem. there isn't like a lesson for him to learn that i mean that there's a, a but, really good movie here at the beginning susan sarandon lays it out to shia labeouf which is like yeah we did some terrible stuff but like here you don't understand what the context of our lives were we did this for a good reason yeah and then that is juxtaposed with robert redford who's like no i wouldn't have done that that was bad yeah like there's a good movie here where robert redford had committed that crime and then felt bad like learned as he got older that i feel bad about or i feel conflicted but he's like oh i'm a complete innocent it's just the system has let me down and i'm gonna prove my innocence and then i do 
Was it the mm-hmm. contender who... Yeah, same thing, yeah. Yeah, where she, I would have liked the movie much better had she actually been the woman in the photos. She was like, yeah, that was me, and that's not right. your business. Like, that's a more interesting story. Like, the idea that you have to have this above-reproach, virtuous, you know, protagonist versus somebody more complicated. <laughs> the person that is, yeah, supposed yeah. to be the bad guy. Yeah, to actually, like, to, grapple with those it, issues is much more interesting it, than, like, well, he didn't do it, so it he's just totally wrongfully in, accused. Yeah. It's really the fugitive, but... Which also raises <laughs> a lot of guns. questions of, like... In the movie, in the world of this movie, he was at some point equal with the woman who's now a drug smuggler, and the person is like, "Yeah, we killed a person, and, and the it soccer was mom. worth it." <laughs> and like, did he? Was that ever a conversation that came up? Obviously, he said no to the bank robbery, but like, it's hard to juxtapose. Like, it's hard to take that character in the movie because he's so virtuous and be like, "Yeah." At some point, he was like, hmm, "Should we shoot people?" No, I have a theory. Perhaps he was involved in the bank robbery, and then he time traveled back <laughs> and, and chose not to. Doctor Sam and Beckett. That's how. <laughs> how the age gap is all. You know, just a little time travel so that he could erase himself from the bank robbery. Yeah, like that. And, like 1963. But unfortunately, yeah. then he had to live some of his life over again. That aged him an additional. <laughs> 10 to 15 years. This is why I think Nicole and I are like, no, it's not. Uh, it doesn't take a, much of a stance on the weathermen because the main character is like, well, they did a lot of good stuff, but uh, there's a limit and I'm not over it. Yeah, That's and I kind so, of, I wondered like, if, came. because we have just these sort of secondhand stories from the time that were sort yeah. of so removed from it that we're like, was that? Like, they all seem a little, you know, extremist to us anyway, so it makes sense that the movie would say that. I and I know. wonder if, like, anybody from the time watching it would be like, no, no, like, that was the ideals, and they would identify more with the two women in the movie. I don't, they were not well-liked <laughs> at the time, uh, just in general, because they were, well, I mean, they were definitely counterculture. They, you know, took a lot of drugs and blew up a lot of stuff. I mean, bombings well, what, were, became so common, people just didn't even really... What activist group today is well-liked? Well, they're not bombing things. That's true, but are they? I mean, they're and still they're not, not well-liked. They're not that having make it... orgies and trying to break each other down and start a revolution and blowing up. Uh, and yet they're still not well-liked. Like, no. Black Lives Matter is not right. well-liked, and no, they but, don't do any but of But I think stuff. it's different between being not well-liked by the people who you're trying to change the minds of versus other people Even of like mind. Right. 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 And sure. so I think progressives like the Black Lives Matter movement, they don't like the WTO throwing trash cans through window, right. you know, sure. agitators. Also, there were the only a few hundred of them. They mm-hmm. weren't a big movement. They were scattered around the country in little cells, but there it wasn't a, a movement as big as Black Lives Matter or, you know, Indivisible or anything like that. It was pretty small. Most of them were. I mean, that is... That is part of why I think this movie would be better if they took us, if he had done some bad stuff, if they were like, yeah, he did some stuff and now he doesn't feel the same way. So something I was listening to yesterday, some podcast, and I can't remember which one. Third Act Saviors. They, it was not that one. <laughs> they they were talking, the ukulele site review. They were talking about the anarchist cookbook. Oh, oh yeah. I know what it, it was. was. It was I opening know. arguments. Yeah. yeah. Talking about 3D printed guns. They were talking about 3D printed mm. guns and, and it brought up the... Uh, Anarchist Cookbook, which you can buy on Amazon right now, apparently. But don't. But the guy who wrote it apparently has left comments saying, I don't think this book should... He has changed over time as he aged. He aged out of his revolutionary... His anarchism? His anarchism, right. right. And he's like, this shouldn't be out here. We should... This should not Mm. be up here. And he's Mm -hmm. the author of the book. 
The Anarchist Cookbook. I'm so, A, it's interesting. It's now available mm-hmm. on Amazon because, of course, why wouldn't it be? But before that, the place you could get it from, and it was like one of the few places, and it, it was a book by mail, mail order bookstore. I can't think of the name of it at all now, but it's what, it was a place you could get all these kind you know, do you want to learn how yeah. to poison people? Do you want to learn how to pick locks? Do you want to learn how to do all these things? They sold, specialized in like these kind of Interesting. Based in Seattle. And I wish I could remember the name of it. I think it starts with the letter F and I can't remember what the, hmm. but that was the, the thing. It was like the one, one-stop shopping for all your, uh, band. Yes. Books. All your, all your, how to do evil deeds. Uh, huh. and I wish I could think of the name of it. Look it up, people. Yeah. Oh, not you. Our <laughs> listeners. I just have to wiggle my thumbs. Um, I mean, I when I was a teenager, you'd get it off of Kazaa or any sort of those early BitTorrent type right. thing. But before there was the internet, there was a, a place you could <laughs> sure. mail order, and they, and they frequently got in trouble because they were, you know, for selling semi-banned or dangerous information. And I just wish I could right. think of the name of the company. And it was here in Seattle. I was like, yay, hometown heroes. Yeah, hometown heroes. So we don't, I don't know why this movie was called The Company You Keep. Because he was, he was, Robert yeah, Redford was known in by a the company, company with keep. these bad guys. And that's why he had to go into hiding because they did a crime and he was in their group. The store is called Left Bank Books. No, no. It was oh. the publishing company though. It's the, oh, okay. pe- the publishers of it. Uh, well, that's the bookstore in Seattle. Oh yeah, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I want to say you know it's not like Farfig Nugent, but that's not it. But it was some. It <laughs> had some goofball name. It was a goofy name. Sorry, we'll have to have all this out. Totally yeah. remember. <laughs> so we do know why they're called the Weathermen. They they are named after a lyric from a Bob Dylan song. You don't need a weatherman to know which, which way, way the wind, wind is blowing. Yeah. Right. We but, forgot. Mom, how do you feel about this movie? It's <laughs> boring. Yeah, that it was, was a boring thing. movie. It wasn't it was to me. Boring. It didn't. The 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 ages and time differences not adding up was like oh yeah that's kind of screwed up it's stupid yeah but for me i was surprised it wasn't like oh these people are all atrocious the acting's terrible no acting was good it yeah. was terribly it was just that inaccurate it was, too but it was also just kind mm-hmm. of blah it was a very blah movie given the topic and the subject right. matter there was all kinds of room for it to be an interesting either action-packed or thought-provoking or both and instead it was kind of like yep I'm watching it. Yeah, there we go. So thriller. I, I couldn't help wondering why they made the movie. Be, right. Why use that subject matter, but get it so wrong? Not actually present the subject matter right. accurately, or any of the timelines accurately. I mean, what what was the message they were trying to deliver? Right. Because that was the bigger question. Because I whatever the message is, it can't be delivered. If you got the message <laughs> that this movie gave you, it was uh, false. Because everything about it was wrong. Because <laughs> not All the real details were wrong. In terms of interest, it was. It reminded me of watching like a not very funny sitcom. You know, where it's like, well, this should be entertaining me and making me laugh, but it doesn't. This was kind I of the same thing the with it. Punchlines are supposed to be right, and this was kind of like the same thing with a action and thought provoking semi historical. It was just like, yeah, it's just it's kind of just wasting my time here. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching like... it, and then it's over, and it wasn't like I was sick of watching her I, I can't watch this anymore it's just but it's just i mad. kept waiting for something to happen and yeah. then it was over and it's kind of like, oh, yeah i mean yeah. it's it's like there the movie at the actual story if you take out all the weathermen like actually the historical yeah. parts it's like a bad version of um that will smith movie uh, and the enemy of the state or whatever where it's like mm-hmm. this guy's innocent but the guy the cops are after him and he's on the run and this the hard-bitten reporter is going to try and figure it out too and that's the problem is this movie didn't really know 
what it was doing. <laughs> what it was trying <laughs> like, to say. Is yeah. it is it a you know fugitive enemy of the state like running away from the government? Yeah. Tense thriller or is it an investigative journalist uncovers the truth? Let's follow him. Like, I think you've got yeah. It. Yeah, yeah, it just couldn't decide what it wanted to do, and it was like, well, let's just it's put them together, and that'll be yeah. the best of both worlds, right? And it yeah, sort of it seemed like a movie that had a lot of rewrites that didn't match up. Yeah. When, when it all was put together. Nicole and I talked about this, and I, I can't take credit because I'm sure I read this in some detail, but this movie also has the exact same plot as Sneakers starring Robert Redford. <laughs> well, not the exact same, but similar. Very, well, the same premise. <laughs> yes. Because it's oh, Robert yeah. Redford was actually didn't do the crime, but he's living no, but he undercover. Did. He did do the crime in Sneakers. Oh, you're right. But That's his friend the whole point. That's why it's a better him. movie. <laughs> but he's living under an assumed name, yeah. doing it. Yeah. Oh, like, that's sad. Yeah. But the crime is a little more innocuous. It's not <laughs> blowing yeah. things up. They're just hacking websites. No, it's it's. But uh, sneakers got better since then. Like it's oh, become yeah, it's more great. relevant. Uh, sneakers rules. Did this movie imply that they went underground because of the bank robbery? Yeah, those three. Because yeah. that's another inaccuracy. They went underground on purpose. It was, it was a strategy. They didn't go underground because they were being. Well, I mean, they were being pursued by the police but that wasn't what drove them underground they basically had a meeting and said let's go underground because that's a better way for us to have our revolution mm. it was more of a, a agreed upon strategy mm-hmm. and it worked right i don't know how if that would make a movie better <laughs> did this work i think they just used the you they used it as a device to have people underground in their story it's just mm. they needed to have they to me it felt like we want to have a thing about underground terrorists with for a thriller but they also need to be white and old and old so that all comes together with this like weather underground because you could do the same movie if it was like i don't know a militant group of the black panthers went underground but it wouldn't be the same no also like very the the 70 year old person who's underground is kind of a trope now in our yeah in our media so there's a character in the uh, yeah there's a character in the uh people of earth Old, the nobody oh, knows yes. that show that's oh, a great I... show you should watch it <laughs> Wyatt Senek is the word is who I'm looking for and yeah. that show one of the, the little old one lady. of the experiencers the little old lady uh, the implicate when the FBI comes she's like oh they're coming for me now because <laughs> she's underground she's able to hotwire a car oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. something I know how skills. to do gotcha. I got you know I can do this oh yeah. you need a fake ID I need a new fake ID I've got some I, you know <laughs> it's all these little things she doesn't yeah. talk about what she did. But it's the, but it's, it's the goofy yeah. little, like, oh, back in the day. <laughs> do we do we have anything else to say about these two movies together? I don't really. Mm. Mm. I thought it was interesting. They had the same theme, mm-hmm. but they didn't do it quite the same way. I actually really liked Medium Cool. I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was it. very pretty. Yeah, it was very pretty. <laughs> it, it was kind of like watching... I mean, there was no story there. It was more like watching mood pictures or something, you know, like it's, things it's a just collage. Going, it was a, yeah, it was a collage. It was a documentary. It was a collage, collage. of things, uh, <laughs> significant events, which I read a lot about in advance. So it was way more meaningful to me, I think, than any of the rest of us at the table because I knew. I mean, I was able to say, "Oh, this is what's." See that little boy? He's talking to the social work. You know, I I knew the context for everything because. It had all been yeah, explained yeah, to me. Yeah, you read a book. We all understand. <laughs> no, all I'm saying is I probably enjoyed it more because right. I knew things were happening that the movie wasn't explicitly saying. Yeah. Although the fact you have to read a book to yeah, uh, that's not a, know that's, what's going yeah, on that's in not the a movie. compliment to the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm, I basically watched two documentaries about this movie 
um, you know, and read about it before before seeing it. And so and that made it better. And so then I had all the context. That's I why think, I liked Annihilation. I think they're both movies that want to say something important, but mm-hmm. don't know how to actually <laughs> say it. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. and I think that Medium Cool probably did say something at the time. More, mm. more, yeah. Because it was relevant to the people watching it, whereas it wasn't really relevant to us. I have some thoughts, but I'll save them for later. But I was going to say, oh, it, that I was reminded of a, I guess, a comedy bit I saw this morning. <laughs> comedy bit? came through my thread. Some people posted and they were saying, ha ha, that's super funny in Facebook. Oh, okay. You know, somebody posted something to Facebook and it was in my, uh, so I'm a member of a group called Crones of Anarchy. That's a bunch of old ladies. (laughs) Most, you know, left-leaning old ladies, like thousands of them. White suburban, middle-aged. They're not all all white, but yeah, largely white, (laughs) Uh, which is why this happened. So they posted, somebody posted this thing, and I can't remember what, I recognize the name of the comedy group, I don't know what the word for it is, that created it, and it was about how it, you see these two white guys, and they're talking about gun control, and they're basically saying we need to have our guns, you know, but it's funny. It's a funny thing. Yeah. There's a guy in a cowboy hat and there's a guy in a cap or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden this this militant black man who's basically dressed like a Black Panther is saying, yeah, I'm for guns. I'm, for, I'm, I'm guns a member too. of the NRA. Mm-hmm. And they were like, ha ha, that was so funny. You know, the, the two white characters get scared and are like, oh, maybe we do need gun control because otherwise black militant mm-hmm. Black Panthers will have guns. And I looked at it and I said... I know you're making a statement about racism, but you're making it from the white perspective because yeah, this is right. way racist. This the only you have this black character who doesn't even exist in our society today, except as a except as a fearful character, scare right? That right. that the that the right uses to scare white people about black people. Why didn't you just have it be like it could have been a school teacher with a handgun? that was black would have made a better statement about how it's racism from the 70s right that doesn't actually because those two white people that they're parroting would be equally as like scared right it doesn't matter whether it's a militant the whole point is it matters that he's black yeah so why use this horrible stereotype yeah yeah that's a good question why (laughs) because white people are uh why, Mom? They don't because if you're going to go extreme, you have to go extreme on both sides. But Jacob. they didn't, though. No, I understand. But that, <laughs> I'm sure that would be their thing. Like, oh, we're being really extreme about the we white people. We just make jokes so... about everybody. Yeah, it's just it's fair game for everyone. Yeah. you know, see your South Parks or your uh, now The Simpsons, which is yeah. really sad. But so basically, so I did. I posted a comment after all these ladies were like, "Ha ha, that's so funny," and I'm like, "Well, I find it hard to find this very funny when it's." I know it's making a statement about racism while at the same time being extremely racist. <laughs> Using three stereotypes, two modern ones, and one, uh, an ancient trope long right. since outdated. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, that's good. Great, good stuff. Uh, so one, th- I will say a current event that happened like in just in the last couple of days that relates 100% to these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, President Trump, call, you know, at his rally, rallying his the crowd to attack the press mm-hmm. yeah the enemy of the people yeah. the enemy of the people yeah that's right how do you feel about that <laughs> that yeah. isn't a news event well you know what i I wish they would stop live streaming his rallies yes yeah the washington post especially mm-hmm. yeah because it's crazy. you know whenever he's having a rally if you go to the if you go to read Why? the newspaper there's that banner across the top you can watch trump's rally right now and i'm like why he has one of these 
every other day. He just, and, and they're, they're paid for you, by his reelection campaign. Right. Yeah. Why don't you write a story about how much money he's spending and how much money he's making at these rallies and how little work he's doing as a president instead of actually streaming the rallies? Because I don't care. I don't need to see. I the don't rally. even care about the like. Even that article would be like, I get it. Just a lack of coverage is the best coverage at this point. They should have someone there because in so case may, something happens, right? So if yeah, so if something happens, or he, I mean, his rambling speech, he happens to mention how he was uh, meeting with the Russians <laughs> to, uh, you know, yeah, but they you don't have, have, you have to. But, you, but if there's stage, nothing, right. but if nothing happens, yeah. So I think it was he had a rally with the same, another, said the same uh, old things with the same old people yeah, who another, had the same um, reaction podcast that i listened to and i think it might have been keep it they were suggesting that what they should do is the air do the same thing they do on air force one which is they have a pool and then they just trade yeah. around yeah. so yeah, it's a sure. lot fewer reporters and they just share the information right it's like covering some sporting event where you at the end you might want to be able to report the score mm-hmm. but do you need exactly you, but there's not even a score <laughs> no, but, but in terms of like, you can say like the there was a baseball game and, and the score was this. Actually, so you can say like there was a rally. The analogy was. was when the newspapers here send a photographer to the hydroplane races. Mm-hmm. They're Just there in case there's a crash. To take a picture if there's a crash. <laughs> and if there's no crash, they don't publish any pictures Mm-mm. of the hydroplane. Hydroplanes mm-hmm. float on the water. That's what they, they do. Fly. Well, the, I think that this <laughs> is a not... result of, I mean... Trump's been president for what, like a year and a half too now? Too long. long. <laughs> there was a, you know, he became the president, and I would say six months after he was the president, there was like some backlash. This this idea floated up of like the press is so outdated and they just don't know how to handle him. Yeah. Like he he keeps lying and saying racist stuff, but they won't say it's a lie and they won't say it's racist stuff. And I feel like it's been a year longer and absolutely no change Mm-mm. in it. They'll, oh, I think, oh, they, they, I think they'll, they've changed. They'll, they'll say they have changed their language. But the fact is, like, the rallies, the Trump rallies or a lot of the stuff that happens, some of this is no longer news anymore because right. it it's happens a on a daily. Yeah. Right. right. They, like stopped, <laughs> they stopped reporting on him golfing, so stop reporting on the rallies. Right. Like that, I mean, that's why I disagree with what you said, which was like, well, what they should do is talk about how much money he's wasted doing this. And, like, to well, me, I'm like... It, well, but it That's does matter. That's the same matter. story every day, too. It matters to some people that he's making a lot of money on these rallies for his campaign. Yeah. And he's also costing the American people money. That is a story. We do want to know how our government money is being spent. I, I, I guess I agree with that. But I to me... But you I wouldn't was... run it every time he ran a rally. Right. Because no. that's... Right, that, like that's, that's a, the thing that's a is... Well, I guess year. I suppose They're... you could do it like the Pinocchios that they track. Yeah. I think oh. that's the Washington. But, but even then, the, the people who actually care that this money's getting wasted are the people who already know it's being wasted. And they don't need to read that story every time there's a rally. Well, the, the thing is, none of that stuff is news. The Pinocchios are not news. The money being wasted is not news. You could say, okay, well, every month we're going to do an update of how much money he's wasted. And there's some informational value in that. But we really have had a year and a half of some of these things are regular events. Right. Well, here's the rallies, the press conferences, and the news still reports it in the same way that they would have reported it in a previous administration. But it's not news anymore. None of this stuff's new. Here's one reason I would argue that 
tracking the Pinocchios, which you can look at or not look at, you know, that they're tracking them. I think that's a good idea. There's been a, like a, he spiked double, like in the last yeah, three right. days. I, he's, things and are that's something worth wilder. being aware but of. But I think that's because of the court case. Oh, sure. Yeah. And right. I think that is a more worthy reporting venue right. is to get, is to break down this case day by day, what's being presented, why is it relevant, and the backstories to those things. Because well, a like, lot of that, that too. but not as, not as much as they're broadcasting on the rallies. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the problem that I, I have with this is not that there's not informational value from any of this. You can, you could report on his rallies every day in the special Trump section of your right. newspaper. Just put if you it in the to. side, but sidebar. That implication is like, oh, well, we'll report on this or we'll report on the money he spent as if there wasn't a finite amount of space on the newspaper. There's a lot of stuff I wish was being reported on. Yeah. And, and it, there's that banner at the top. Yeah. Wish it said something else. It not makes that it, money It makes spent. it on par with the importance of this trial that's going on that is about actual government corruption. I, I <laughs> listen to like three or four podcast news podcasts a week, and each of them can fill a couple hours worth of new things that happened within the last seven days. Mm-hmm. But when I open that newspaper... A lot of the information on it is not new information to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What he says and does in the rally is norm- normally a president getting up and saying something. That's is wild. Worth covering. Yeah, let's uh, learn what he says. What new thing? He doesn't say anything new. And yeah, it, it's a silly. And half the stuff he says will immediately be backtracked by someone else. Exactly. And that's why, you know, having Giuliani on every broadcast is. It's also you know, a, waste of time. a waste of time because he's going to say something stupid and then immediately the White House is going to be like, well, he doesn't actually speak for us. The first time, that's really interesting and The 30th. New. <laughs> but the 30th time, you should stop booking him because Correct. now you're just booking a guy who just says some stuff. Yeah. I could say some stuff and it would not be news <laughs> because I have no value to add and it wasn't wouldn't make a difference. It didn't when you mentioned that, you know, like tracking his truths and untruths. When he first... Yeah. When he first, when the newspapers did what they normally do, which is he says something, it's not true. They had to go find somebody on the opposite side from the opponents yeah. to say the opponent's this thing. And then it lying. sounds like a, well, yeah. this person's opinion Everybody and this lies. person's opinion. Right. And, I, and they, most news media, now, and this is kind of unprecedented, mm-hmm. just yeah, make right. it a habit. Of, and then he said this, which is not true. And then on to the next <laughs> thing. Right. I That I agree with. Well, not only that, but. <laughs> You know, when they say, I mean, because they are tracking and they're saying like, you know, in the past 30 days, he told this many lies or in the past year, he's told this many lies. And at some point, the numbers just sort of blur together and Mm -hmm. there needs to be some sort of context put on it. Like for comparison, like there were 23 in the entire administration of this. You know what I mean? Like there has to be a comparative. If it's just numbers, people don't know what to do with that information. Yeah, just it doesn't go anywhere. Wait, are you ending this conversation? No. <laughs> it kind of sounds like. Uh, I have two things I want to talk about that are semi-current events, but are also less depressing. Would you like Good. to hear them? So, I would in the last year, I would say there's been two pieces of media that really affected me, or I think about a lot. One is uh, Twin Peaks: The Return, mm-hmm. which starred Robert Forrester. He's one of the main guys. Man, I think about that show. It's very weird and slow and crazy, but I that show went off the air, I don't know, six months ago. And I still occasionally think back to stuff that happened. I was like, wow, I've never seen that before. So if you haven't watched Twin Peaks The Return, even though it's weird and slow and confusing, you should watch it. It's something else. Uh, And the other one is Sorry to Bother You, Mm. which is probably still in theaters, but maybe not by the time you hear this. It's on very limited release. 
they're probably not going to do an international release because it's according to Boots Riley, it's a black movie, so they're just not going to publish it. It's not playing in all the theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should go see it. It's super funny. It's very exciting. And it also, Boots Riley is a very radical political person, and it is interesting watching this movie especially watching the movies we tend to watch that take a very neutral tone at times especially uh the company you keep he doesn't take a neutral tone the ending of this movie has is very direct in like here's a problem i see in society and here's how i think that this could be solved and what people out there should do to make things better cool um i have i had read some commentary like there's a lot of people comparing this movie to get out and then there was some reactive commentary to that saying, like, you're only really comparing it to Get Out because it's a movie about black people, basically. Made by a black film. Made by a black player. And that's true. Although I also think it's probably the only other movie I can think of recently that is social commentary. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It's super funny. Like, it is not a downer movie by any stretch, except that the concept is a downer. And it's very weird. But go see it. It's great. And I, I don't know. You come out of the movie being like, oh, that he actually had a statement. And it's not subtle or confusing it's just like here's what i think should be done and it was great it was super great go i want to see theater. it yeah go see it in the theater too it's got special effects you may not <laughs> the trailer does not come across okay. as to how wild and uh exciting it is yeah and tessa thompson's in it who mm-hmm. i love yeah her character's not she gets oh, kind of no. short she kind of gets the short oh, shaft no. of the movie yeah it's like that's valkyrie the all over again yeah it is uh it's got stephen young in it okay I like him. I know you do. He's the, <laughs> like, sexy activist that they all fall in love <laughs> well, with. Well, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's great. Go see it. Sorry but that's my you. two recommendations of non-depressing stuff to go watch. So, um, so yesterday, t- today is August 4th, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, that's It's the right. 4th of August. Yes. Uh, yesterday, I was listening to Skullduggery, which I've mentioned on this podcast before. It mm-hmm. is... I, I like it with opening arguments. Opening arguments is the lawyer who really breaks down what things mean from actually a, I guess, a reality standpoint, what things can actually, what may actually occur as a result of some of the legal stuff that's going on. Uh, Skullduggery is just some good journalists. Um, It's hosted by Michael Isakoff, who wrote a book called Russian Roulette, which apparently has come up in the Russia inquiry. So they interviewed Sam Numberg, I think that's his name, and he worked mm-hmm. on Trump's campaign. And it is a crazy interview that they they just handle it. They talk to him, they ask him questions, he says some things, he sounds perfectly, you know, a guy, he's very amiable. But then after they shut off, after the interview's over, they're like, they're, my mind was blown. My jaw dropped like mm-hmm. 10 times during this interview. And I noticed uh, today, there's actually news stories about some of the stuff that he said during that interview. Wow. For example, um, he's the person that came up with the birther, uh, the birther conspiracy. Conspiracy, and basically he says during the interview, "Yeah, I know, I know Obama was born in America, but I peddled this because I knew that it would be effective." Mm-hmm. And he basically says, "You know, I I ran Trump's campaign because I knew that when I can't remember what it was that Obama did, you know, like he knew when Obama won in 2012 that Trump could win in 2016." And the implication that he never says anything about race, but you can you can sense that there's these people playing this game way up the chain in the hierarchy who really don't care what happens down yeah, at sure. the bottom part. And they are willing to to whip up any kind of sentiment 
that they mm-hmm. that they think will get an effective you know be effective and get the result that they want regardless of how it actually affects people sure and also they're racist that checks out (laughs) yeah that works on a few levels yeah so it works for him anyway because he's a racist is he q is he the q anon himself (laughs) (laughs) you know he just sounded so neutral about the effects of all the things that Mm -hmm. he did knowing that they would be damaging he just doesn't have any feelings about that but it's a crazy interview i'll have to listen to it that sounds interesting so they're like Shia LaBeouf, and he just spills all the information to them. <laughs> he was—he had no compunction about anything. In fact, and he was—he was called before I think it was the Senate inquiry, mm-hmm. and they asked him about the Michael Isakoff book, Russian Roulette, because apparently, oh no, he had to tell them about it because he was asked about uh, Gates. I can't remember his first name. Uh, Robert Gates. Robert Gates. Uh, they asked him some questions about that, and Robert Gates had accused him of telling Michael Isakoff some stuff that was that was in the book. Like he had leaked something that mm-hmm. then showed up in the book and he's like he had to say, This is what Robert Gates said to me. He accused me of giving some information for this book and I had to say, I didn't I've never met that man. And then he did meet him later and it was an interviewed on uh, the show. Hmm. Oh. That sounds really interesting. Skullduggery is the podcast. Skullduggery, yes. Okay. They've you know they're the ones that interviewed Ken Starr. A, a few weeks ago. Can I give a side note? on mm-hmm. the, Our listeners who listen to opening arguments, the last episode they did was all about 3D printed guns. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reporting about 3D printed guns. There's a detail that I don't see reported very much. And I forget where I read <gasps> was this. Was it the tweet that I did? I don't know. Yeah, what was your the, tweet? The, the guy who published them is the guy who started Hatreon. Yeah, that's right. That's important for people to know. And they need to report on this. You know what Patreon is? I'm looking at my parents. Well, I know what Patreon is. So, Patreon was the one that was started for all the people who were kicked off and couldn't fundraise. So, it's the, yeah, the the fundraiser program that you go through if you are (laughs) a neo-Nazi or, you know, someone who the actual legitimate organizations say, no, we're not going to let you fundraise through us. That's the same guy who's uh, doing the 3D printed guns and just... And has the settlement with the U.S. government that uh, yeah that kind of that went doesn't the, get reported that went under on. the radar as well yeah so that's the a Trump big administration deal. made an even though it's against the law what yeah. he did is against the law it's against federal law to distribute plans to build weapons certain kinds of weapons right yeah and well and it's the re, the reason it's there's some dumb legal stuff involved in this, but yeah yeah it's the, easier I mean just listen the to the version. opening arguments because they explain it he explains it in quite a bit of detail yeah. and the history of why why it's illegal which mm-hmm. started way back in the 70s and that's how you get to the anarchist cookbook yes that's how you get to the anarchist cookbook um but a lot of the reporting about that guy is very neutral in tone like oh yeah, he's, he's a first just amendment a dude. dude who right but what what i was going to no, say is not. they didn't report on the trump administration agreement with him very well because no. i had not even heard of it and they basically trump administration said we're not going to prosecute you for committing these federal crimes right, right. Which well, enabled him to just about, you know, before a federal judge says, whoa, 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 we need to assess the uh, impact of this and whether it really is legal for you to do this. Yeah. He could have just, if with that agreement, he could have just handed out the blueprints. And apparently he did get some out there in yeah, like 2013. Yeah, they had to do an injunction to... To stop it. And I'm sure that they're, I mean, those I'm sure those plans are out there already. Well, he, I, it, well in opening arguments, I think it was the one where they talked about the fact that in 2013 he did release some. Yeah, I'm and sure may have released it's hard to get those things off the internet once they're out there, but right. it is worth pointing out this guy is a 
piece of garbage already. And the other thing is, I don't think people are aware. I'm definitely not aware how many 3D printers are actually out there. That's like totally not anything oh, I that yeah. I think about or know about. Apparently, a lot of schools have them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have them. Yeah. I have when a we toured with one. the UW, that was, a, that was one of the cool features. Every dorm has a... <laughs> Daniel has a 3D printer. He built yeah. it himself. Yeah, I knew Daniel had one, but I did not realize that they were prolific they're, at this yeah. point. All over the place. Yeah. And they're cool. They're cool as hell. <laughs> yeah. Just not for I, guts. You know, and I, I, this is bad, but I just hope people who print them... They blow they up. They blow up. Yeah, yeah that's my great. That is my hope, that these plastic guns have flaws in them, which they, they will them have. Do. Sure. And that they just blow up. Yeah. That's mean. Instant but I don't care, I guess. <laughs> Nicole, do you have anything you want to bring up before we go to cocktail land? Sure. So I went and saw the um, Mr. Rogers movie, oh, yeah. which was so good. Cry? I cried for like, yeah, <laughs> almost the okay. whole thing. Um, and I think I heard the other day that um, they're actually going to release it on PBS. Ooh. So that you know, if you oh, know if you missed it in the theaters, you'll actually have access That'd to it. Great. Definitely worth your time. He's just, he, he was such yeah. a good dude. Like just, mm-hmm. <sighs> and yeah, there was a lot about it and how... Um, after 9-11, he really just wanted to retreat, didn't understand if he was making a difference anymore. And if, uh, anyway, it's a lot and it's great. And it was sort of the, the kind of thing you needed <laughs> to sort of keep going these it's days. Nice. Um, and then also there's a new show on Hulu called Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of an amalgamation of all the different Stephen King stories you're familiar with or maybe aren't familiar with. And um, it also has a very Twin Peaks kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, it, the, the premise of it is that at Shawshank, they find a prisoner that isn't on their records. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of this, you know, early 20s young man who won't say anything. And they're trying to figure out how he got there. And, you know, the whole town is kind of a mysterious little town and in anyway Maine, i assume yes in maine <laughs> exactly and so anyway it's really interesting and because it's hulu you can binge it if you wait but new episodes are released every yeah. wednesday as well so you can watch it like a series and sort of ruminate on it so i sent you a link to looking at me jacob hannah gab gadsby nanette nanette is the name oh, of yeah. her mm-hmm. did you watch it Mm-mm. everyone should watch it it's really interesting it's some fun some funny and some a little bit ted talk that was kind of the vibe of it. Mm-hmm. She talks about why she has to get out of comedy. And it's one of those really good, um, it's a really good narrative because everything, there's circles, you know, like she says something at the beginning and then later she comes, you know, she circles back around to it in a sort of a surprising way. Mm-hmm. Like comedy. Like, yeah. <laughs> like a good joke. <laughs> like really good, like the way that really good comedy works. But she also talks about her, her personal life in pretty, in detail. Oh. Uh, what was, there were the... Lance, I'm looking at you now. So uh, I think it might have been yesterday or the day before there were like the two things. We watched something and it was like, that's the thing that we need to see right now. Oh, I don't know. If- oh, was it making it? Yes. Oh, Lord. That <laughs> ah, show was yes. so good. So basically there were two, the two things that we need right now. One of them was, and Seth Meyer does a bit on this uh, story. It's this grandma. Did we talk about this before? A grandma so. goes outside to put a bumper sticker on her uh, truck. And is attacked by a rabid bobcat, <laughs> which she strangles to death with her oh own gosh. hands. And because her 
five-year-old because her five-year-old granddaughter is sleeping in the house she does it without making a noise (laughs) breaking several of her fingers oh my gosh and the sticker that she's putting on the truck says the the well-behaved women rarely make history Uh, Amazing. does a whole bit about this is the kind of news we need yes. right now. <laughs> so it was that and then making it is the other thing we need right now. That was I, Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. Mm. The, the only episode out right now is the premiere. premiere episode and it was so good I just wanted to I would have sat and watched 10 more episodes in a row. I would have watched just Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman riffing with Hang each other because <laughs> they do you know between each segment you know as they're doing the outro to the commercial break they just sort of chat with each other about what's going on it is great. Yes it was so uplifting to watch that show. <laughs> it's just people crafting and, yeah. and, and and hanging very out very good yeah. Oh, yeah these are like master crafters that's yeah. and that's what's going to be the prize is you get named the master crafter <laughs> yeah initially they, they just get called crafters and they win these really awesome badges yeah like little girl scout <laughs> patches <laughs> oh it's great it's yeah. just it's just lightweight yeah fun, fun positive yeah. i like that that's important that's why i've been watching a lot of dragon ball <laughs> And even at the end, you know, they had to kick somebody off at the end, but yeah. they ended the episode that with they were drinking wine. They were all the sitting d- on a porch Polar and drinking rosé with the lady that they kicked off. <laughs> well, and that's why it's cute, too, because it's, you know, an air quotes competition <laughs> show. But all the crafters are so nice to each other. And, you know, if one of them has extra time, they're like, oh, what can I do to help you? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it's just really cute. And, yeah. It, it sounds like Great British Bake Off. Yeah. Yes, and it, yes it's, it's styled after yeah. it. the idea of, of a friendly reality. Friendly competition. competition. Right. Of People that are actually good at what they're doing, mm-hmm. yeah, highly skilled at what they're doing, friendly, big. I guess you know it's a big stakes when the, the final winner gets like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. But in between, in the meantime, the little winners get a Girl Scout patch. So <laughs> it is a weird juxtaposition with um, nailed it, where people get rewarded oh, yeah. for being so the best of the worst people. <laughs> they're all very bad at baking, and they are asked to do <laughs> tasks that are way beyond what they what they could possibly achieve and they have to do it in like two hours which even a person with skills wouldn't be able to do mm. and then whoever's the least bad at it wins ten thousand dollars and i'm like you get ten thousand dollars for being bad at baking there was a there was a cute 15 minute little crossover episode of the queer eye guys yeah. going on yeah. nailed it and doing that and that was that was that was refreshing what do you want to recommend dad now's your chance nothing nothing bringing you <laughs> joy in your nothing life current events no, not current events what about just media that has been nice. Hot media, cold media, whatever I mean, we whatever just recommended you something we listened yeah. to that was cool. Yeah. Nah. He watched everything I watched. Yeah. <laughs> Any of it good? Yeah. You can be honest. Nana, yeah. it was very good. Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> there you go. Making it was good. I like that. It was Did you listen to the Hollywood Handbook episode I sent you? Uh, the answer is no, based on no, the confused no, look I on don't your even... face. I recommend the podcast Hollywood Handbook, which some people like, some people don't, but they're most... Their episode last week, they did a live show at Comic-Con for a sold-out audience oh, I who didn't this. know who the, who had bought tickets and sold out oh, before they had announced who the show was. So they go out cold to this audience who just hates their guts and starts booing them. <laughs> and so the episode they did, instead of just playing that, was a commentary track on them bombing just horribly bad. It's very funny. Podcasts I've listened to? That just yeah, do you have me. a podcast, podcast you like? Uh, that's totally not. Current affairs, but uh, Taylor Guitar Company does a podcast where they typically talk about new guitars, mm-hmm. new guitar designs, their featured artists, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of cool. But the owner of Taylor Guitars, Mr. Taylor, 
who is now in his late 60s and is like trying to figure out, well, how do I continue this company? And he has great concerns because they make guitars out of wood and the wood is comes from many you know, all around the world. There's mahogany and Indian rosewood and ebony and all these things that are in short supply, uh, tropical woods and very concerned. Like he wants to see a future where everybody is able to make guitars out of wood. Uh, so he talked about he has he's they've started what they call their Congo ebony project where in the Congo uh, they are providing the materials to people that live there to plant ebony trees. Cool. Hmm. And the rule in, where are they? They're in Cameroon? I can't remember what nation is, but the rule is if you plant a tree, that tree belongs to you and your children and your children's children can inherit it and they oh, get okay. the value from it. So they have this program where they're showing them how to plant ebony as well as other fruit trees and trees that are used for medicine, mm -hmm. which has a more immediate impact. They give, they show them how to plant them. They pay them a certain amount of money for the first five years to, to, maintain, to maintain it. Mm -hmm. And then with the idea being that, hey, in 80 years or so, you aren't going to get any money, but 80 years from now, we might want to be able to come back. Mm -hmm. And if you want to sell this this your ebony trees that you've been planting every year, We'll go buy them from your grandkids. We can, yeah, it'll benefit your grandkids. And so they've Aww. started this program. They also have a factory there where they're building things. They're making the pieces out of ebony mm. where he they went in there and there was like no tools, no equipment. The workers at lunchtime, they kept finding them that they'd like just sit around. They weren't eating their lunch. And they found out, well, why? Because we don't have any money and we don't have any food. So they've been providing them with all the... They've basically made a fully functional woodworking factory uh with a cafeteria for the people to eat That's and cool. paying wow. them much higher wages than most people get so they that was a project that he did and then he also talked about because he has a ton of money mm -hmm. uh he bought 500 acres of what's now pasture land in hawaii a lot of uh, guitars and ukuleles are made out of koa which mm -hmm. is a native hawaiian wood that's in very short supply because it's some of it was cut down to make things, big. right? And a lot of it was cut down to grow sugar cane and pineapples mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. raise cattle. And now they don't grow sugar cane in Hawaii and they don't, the pineapple industry, it doesn't exist in Hawaii. So they've got large chunks of essentially pasture land. So he talked about, he bought 500 acres. He's going to plant it all in Koa, which again, they'll take <laughs> yeah. whatever, 80 years. He's saying after that, if they, they forest it, sustainably just taking out yeah. what you can maintain and then replant and he's saying he said this should the amount you'll be able to take out every year will supply all of taylor guitars and that uses a tenth of what they take out so great. and then the other 90 percent will be able to be sold to anyone else wherever and he talks about you know 500 acres on the island of hawaii is like this little speck compared to the whole island and if you look at the Hawaiian Islands, they're like this tiny, <laughs> tiny speck mm -hmm. in the whole globe. <laughs> right. And yet, if you just don't clear cut, mm -hmm. yeah, that meets That'll all your needs for yeah, this for, one, for one particular kind of wood. Yeah, it's like, this will be good for everyone who needs to make instruments out of koa for the rest of the of time. time. Yes. Until so huh. the ocean sinks into the sea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which will be in and I thought know, that was years. really cool. And that's basically, is like, I like I like guitars. I like guitars made out of wood. And it makes me sad to think that maybe we wouldn't have wood. So I'm doing something so about it. So weird that he's using his money for something like that. And yeah. Elon Musk is 
Selling flamethrowers. He almost <laughs> built a submarine that almost saved a kid. Yeah. <laughs> From pedophiles, I assume. <laughs> God, Elon Musk sucks. It's not great. <laughs> but anyway, I thought that was cool. That is what cool. a good thing for. What was the name of the podcast? It's the Taylor Guitars podcast, and they okay. they talk about a, typically stuff. promotional stuff for their guitars, but they wanted to mention Taylor's Tim, Tim the Toolman Taylor. Yeah, Taylor's. Uh, <laughs> wood projects because he's now at the and he talks about i'm now at that age you know i focused on starting a business and then i focused on growing a business i focused on getting the right people in place to carry on the business but now i'm kind of worried about like the legacy the yeah. legacy of yeah and he was basically saying yeah i could have spent my money instead of buying 500 acres to make a koa forest i could have bought some beachfront property and retired there but i'd rather grow wood <laughs> <Want> nice <laughs> some- Guitar someday. Yeah, which okay. I thought was really cool. That is That's really a good cool. dude. All right, do you want to talk about the cocktail oh, now? Are we going to talk about the cocktail? <laughs> sure. It's Before medium... I sweat to death in this little room. <laughs> it's medium cool. I I had a lot of trouble with this cocktail, deciding how what what it was going to be. I thought I would do something with mint. I started with a bottle of Rumplemins, and it was awful. <laughs> did not taste good. Did not work out very well. well I didn't want your Rumplemins sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, Rumplemins is bad. I didn't want to make something, but it's expensive. Why did it cost so much and taste so bad? I don't know. Yeah, I was like, Jaeger is expensive, and I don't like it either. Yeah. So, um, I I wanted to make a sort of a minty drink because you think of that as being kind of a cool flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Rumplemins did not work out because I also didn't want it to be too sweet because that's kind of what you get when you have a very sweet liqueur like Rumplemins, then you end up with a very sweet cocktail, Drink. which I don't particularly care for. So then I started going down a different path and I started using fresh mint, but it wasn't quite enough mint. And so then I, and I wanted it to be cool. And I want, I kind of had an idea that maybe I could make something that looked like a TV or. <laughs> was that know, what the cube was? That's what the, yeah. that's what, that was as far as I could get. It's very difficult to make a hollow cube. I, yeah. I don't know that I've ever... I, you can't... I couldn't look it up online because I don't know that anybody... You invented a hollow cube. You're the one. Right. Uh, so, you know, there's it's lots of, there's lots of stuff video. for making <laughs> spheres, but not cubes. And the reason that you people don't make cubes is the only way to make a hollow ice object, it has to be a single uh, mold... And nobody mm-hmm. makes a single cube mold. If you had a 3D printer, you could. <laughs> you could print one. Well, I ended up like, I, you know, I cut things apart, <laughs> built my own cube maker. Yeah. And then had to experiment a lot. Like every day I'd, because it takes like two hours for it to freeze to the first stage. So I could put it in oh, for boy. two hours and then look at it. And I had to try to figure out, okay, but now it's all wobbly and weird. And <laughs> it didn't come out flat or square. It, it took a long time to figure out and then you have okay. to get the you have to get the water out as well once you've once you've got it to the point oh, and you, you have to yeah. freeze it enough so that the the alcohol doesn't immediately melt the cube which kind of worked it, one of them worked one, on of mine. Them, one of them yeah. melted faster than the others but Dad's cocktail melted i figured out how to make kind of a more solid base by leaving a little bit of the water in after i drained it out you know like <laughs> So what I ended up with doing is I made some granita that was mint and lime granita. And then on top of that, there's a cube. And then I make basically the cocktail. What is granita? Granita is that slushy, icy stuff. Oh, okay. It's, uh, it's like an ice. ice? Yeah. It's an ice with stuff in it. So it never free. It doesn't freeze solid. And then you kind of scrape it up and it makes kind of a sorbet-ish oh. sort of thing with flavor in it. 
Um, and the so I use kind of the same flavors in the cocktail part as I did in the granita, which is mint and lemon and lime and it was kind of mojito ish. Yes, Maybe a little, a little bit of mojito esque because it's got mint and lime in it. Yeah, it was really refreshing. Yeah, it was good for the record. I really like it when she struggles to <laughs> get the invention of the drink just right. You because you get to try every all the... <laughs> day, literally every day that she's working on it, I come home from work and she at some point it's like says, like Mad Men. Yes, very much. Here, try this. The only part I don't like is then she looks at me really <laughs> intently while you, I have to have a sip. Or... And I always, well, they always taste pretty good. Yeah, I mean, yeah you no, don't make a bad one. Right. Um, but it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, oh is this one slightly? I can't always remember what's, di- you know, each one may be a little different uh-huh. than the other, but I can't always remember. <laughs> you have to get a notebook. With precision <laughs> of tasting, you know, tasting notes. Yeah. But, you know, I greatly prefer it. If it takes you three weeks of daily experiments, <laughs> Dad it is way it. better than like, oh, I nailed it on the second try. Yeah, that's right. I go into three weeks. That's Dad soused every day. (laughs) Thank you so much for your sacrifice. (laughs) Like that cocktail. I've had that cocktail literally every day for what? Not every day. I mean, for a while you did have it every day and then there was a break. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, I got a back off. But but it's like, oh. It's very very Mad Men-esque because I get to come home. And it's like, Especially an old martini glass. Did you get to try the Rumplemints failure? I must. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with it, when you added the Rumplemints, it got really bitter. Huh. It oh. just did not, the f- huh. the flavor was not good. I think it's lime There were and, a couple that weren't that Lime tasty. and Rumplemints yeah. don't go together. Because Rumplemints is too sweet. Yeah, and... I think so. Hmm. And the way that the flavors got together, it just made it bitter and bleh. Is hmm. the mint in this the mint from the backyard, or is this purchased It's mint from mint? the front yard. Oh, it's so the have, good mint. We have two kinds of mint, yeah. It's front almost yard mint and backyard. Yeah, the, yeah. the front yard mint is the good mint. The backyard mint, I think, was already too bitter before I even started working on the drink. It is. It was already flowering. Is that your favorite version of the drink, Dad? Since you've tried them all, it's like I said. They just each each one is not. It's not like one is like, oh, this one's sour. Oh, this one's sweet. It's like, oh, well, how's this one? Drinking my and I'm part, like, oh, that's, that's good. Too. And then it just tweaks it a little bit. So the next day, is like, oh, yeah, that one's good. And the next so, day is like, oh, yeah, that one's good. <laughs> Get into the good zone. Yeah. Maggie also gave me some input on the granita, which she, I gave her some of it you know, a week ago or so, and she thought it was too flavorful. So, <laughs> And it was much mintier than the one you got to mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is right, though. Although it is like, it's kind of a citrusy, minty mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. It's a little like mojito, but maybe yeah. sweeter. Mojito has more to the it. added flavor of Angostura bitters. And this has lemon bitters in it. It's the mm. main. Hmm. Oh, that's okay. really the difference between the two, except this is a little sweeter than a mojito. And this isn't going to get mint stuck in my straw and right, clogged right. <laughs> No, because I wanted it to look cool. So although I used mint in both the granita, actual like leaf mint in both the granita yeah. and the cocktail, I strained it out so it would look a little more sleek and yeah. not have the mint bits in it. I mean, I the granita that. part is great for the fact that it's a thousand yes. degrees in here. It's, a thousand, it's <laughs> this, very hot outside right now and our house doesn't cool down and this is probably one of the warmest rooms in the house. <laughs> so it's not great. This drink was especially good for drinking during a podcast. The challenge that I had, <laughs> besides the fact that the square ice cube bumps your nose and puts yeah, sticky you get a little on your nose. <laughs> but the other challenge is you get handed a drink and ideally you want to let it just like sit there and look at mm-hmm. it for a long time until the ice cube melts yep. enough that the two flavors join together. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But that can take a long time, and I want to choose. I want to know the now. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So that's the challenge of this drink. It's really good for 
sitting around not drinking yeah. it for 15 it's minutes. It's a good it's podcast. Well, yeah, and if you have a lot to say. Yeah. Did you look up what the episode is for next time? Yes. So we're going to be doing several ep- several episodes that are all going to kind of relate to this episode in that mm-hmm. they're all going to su- kind of circle around the same time period. The, sh- the Democratic National Convention, Nixon, Watergate, the Chicago 7, trial of the Chicago 7, all of that stuff, which is all kind of related to each other. Um, so we're going to get our first Nixon episode. We're going to watch. Everyone work on your Nixon impressions. <laughs> we're going to watch all the president's <laughs> men. Yay. And I'm going to give you a choice for the for the matchup because I oh, could not me? decide. Yeah, we've never done this before, but I had so two pressure. two movies and I wasn't sure which one. One of them I'm pretty sure is probably not a good movie. <laughs> Let's watch that one. And then, the other one is more a little crap. has a little more of a I think is a little sillier. They're hmm. both based I mean they're all Bo based Rat? on real events, but <laughs> so okay, so we've got all the president's men, which okay. we know what that's about. Mm-hmm. It's about Watergate. I've heard of that. And then it. the other choices are a movie called Mark Felt. I believe yeah. Mark Felt was Deep Throat. So okay. it's a movie starring Liam Neeson about <laughs> Deep Throat. Okay. Is that the good one or the bad one, do you think? That's, I think that's probably not a very good movie. Uh, based on the fact that... <laughs> Sounds bad. Just based on the description I'm going with. <laughs> it came out in 2017. It stars Mark, Liam Neeson, and it's really not at the forefront of your mind of a... Liam yeah, Neeson right. movie. <laughs> is, right. he, is he calling Bob Woodward and saying... I have a very particular set of skills. <laughs> is he on a commuter train? And <laughs> yeah, which Liam Neeson are we getting here? All right, what's our option? I do not know. Um, and so then the other choice is Elvis and Nixon, which oh, is I a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so you heard about that one. So it's probably ah, the better movie. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's, be very it's from 2016. It's about And how, it's like an Amazon original or something. It's about how an iconic photograph of Nixon and Elvis came to be. That Spoiler alert, funny. they're crazy. Yes. <laughs> That's Michael Shannon and I forget who plays Nixon. Kevin Spacey. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't want to watch that one. That'll taint the movie for me. <laughs> yeah, sorry. All <laughs> Hard right, pass. So, so we'll watch the bad one, Mark Fell, which is probably maybe, which is more closely related to All the President's Men anyway, because it's a character from that. It's a character, in quotes, <laughs> <laughs> that appears Best in Best known movies. as. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, that sounds better. I don't right. want to watch Kevin Spacey right now. All right, so we're going to watch Mark Velt and All the President's Men. Yay! Watch along with us. Or don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're an adult, probably. Live yeah, your make life. your own choices. <laughs> don't, don't come to us for choices. <laughs> Thanks for being a guest. Yeah. You're very welcome. All right. All Bye, right. everybody. See you later. Bye. He was part of the Weather Underground in the 1970s. They bombed the Pentagon, the Capitol, and other buildings. He's never apologized for that. And in fact, on 9-11, he was quoted in the New York Times saying, I don't regret setting bombs. I feel we didn't do enough. An early organizing meeting for your state Senate campaign was held at his house, and your campaign has said you were friendly. Can you explain that relationship for the voters and explain to Democrats why it won't be a problem?